once upon a time, there was a place of great goodness called the White Lodge. Gentle fawns gambled there amidst happy, laughing spirits. The sounds of innocence and joy filled the air. And when it rained, it rained sweet nectar that infused one's heart with a desire to live life in truth and beauty. Generally speaking, a ghastly place, reeking of virtue's sour smell, engorged with the whispered prayers of kneeling mothers, mewling newborns, and fools, young and old, compelled to do good without reason. <laughs> but I am happy to point out that our story does not end in this wretched place of saccharine excess. For there's another place, its opposite. A place of almost unimaginable power, chock full of dark forces and vicious secrets. <laughs> no prayers dare enter this frightful maw. Spirits there care not for good deeds or priestly invocations. Theirs like to rip the flesh from your bone as greet you with a happy good day. And if harnessed, these spirits in this hidden land of unmuffled screams and broken hearts would offer up a power so vast that its bearer might reorder the earth itself to his liking. Now, this place I speak of is known as the Black Lodge. And I intend to find it. Hey, man. The story's cool. But you promised me beer. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. So are, you, are you ready to start recording? Cause... <laughs> I was born ready. Oh, Let's fucking four shit. episodes left in this motherfucking season. Now we can put it to bed. I can't uh, wait. There's so many stories in these episodes that are just fucking pointless. I, and are, so many that are amazing. Yes, there is... There, there, especially, like, the next episode we do, which will be, you know, the 21 and 22, I had forgotten. Uh, welcome, listeners. Let me just pause. Hey, welcome <laughs> welcome to Duncan and Vo go to Twin Peaksies. Duncan, I was amazed... <laughs> As I watched the final two episodes, at how how much I had forgotten about how absolutely batshit insane much of that finale is. Uh, oh yeah, it's yeah, but that's yeah, but we that's the next episode. It is, gents, it is. But I love it. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think it gets, and we'll get into our further analysis on that. But I think there are, people are very quick to judge that as. Um, you know, it's one of these moments where, you know, we've spent all this time and then we get the, you know, and then the show ends up like that. The show wasn't supposed to end up like that. The show was supposed to go on for, for many, many years. They cancelled the show and David Lynch gave you what David Lynch does. I don't know why anyone was surprised by that. That, to me, is the classic quintessential it's, David Lynch ending. It's also one of the biggest trolls in the history of television. It's one of the greatest endings in it. Like I agree, I agree. It's but so we'll get fucking in, dark. We'll, so dark. We'll get into it. Um, but that's that's the next episode because this episode, Duncan, is about two uh, the two previous episodes. Um, I also want to point out uh, to our listeners, um, thanks for being here. By the way, uh, thanks for once again. I uh, all right. Let me let me pause and say this too. 
You're passing a lot. I know. (laughs) Your train train of thought is just being derailed and derailed and derailed. I wanted to apologize to uh, our listeners, especially those folks on the the Facebook page um, who were responding to the last episode. And I try to be real on top of that, and I wasn't over the weekend because I, I had to work. And I just got behind on all that stuff. So I just wanted to apologize for not being a little more uh, interactive with that stuff because I love it. Uh, it. It feeds my ego in a way that you just can't imagine. And <laughs> um, and I appreciate it. I, thanks for doing it. I apologize for, for not reacting to, to more of the stuff that people were saying and all the pictures and photoshops and stuff people were doing. Uh, keep I did it up. get... I got- tagged in something that said that we should do a like a nine season canadian vampire show yeah I'm just let's... putting it out there just, let, let's just acknowledge that that's not going to happen as funny as that potentially sounds i'm not doing nine seasons of a tv show in Me fairness it's are... three it's not nine <laughs> all right uh How many episodes it, th- all right that's where we get into trouble because it's like 70 episodes Oh fuck that! Right, oh, right. Fuck that! Right. And, Twin Peaks, I can kind of get behind because I like Twin Peaks. And it's and, like we're going to come in under fifty episodes total. For yes, for collectively, the and that's with a fucking movie in there as well, and two books. Yeah. So I, as much as I, I, I like the idea, and I think maybe what we might do is just do a one-off of the pilot. Yeah, see, yeah, see, I like that idea. Like, maybe we watch the pilot, maybe it wets the whistle, maybe it, it creates a bit of anticipation, and maybe then at that point, I'm like, down the line, maybe me and Bo do this. But I'm kind of thinking, we co- like, I think we've said it before, we come off this, we essentially go into a decompression chamber. Yeah. Um, and we, 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 like, an isolation tank of some description. We get, we get a chance to gather our thoughts together, and then we come back was something that's i don't know I, I don't know if it's going to be something as goofy as twin peaks or, or if maybe it's going to be some stranger things season two. Oh, kapow or... that would work at perfect in time actually it kind of would i, I was and you know what that. we could do well we wouldn't have much time for a break but there's not many episodes in season one we could run the train of season one right into season two we'll, we'll talk about I said it. it we'll talk about it but I like it. listeners I keep the suggestions coming um i i think that at some point we may just do a couple of one-off of of some bad shows that people have recommended like i would love to do lex or something oh man lex is on prime over here it it is here too i just saw that last night as a matter of fact that the almost uh, spunked my pants when i saw i was i was like so excited i said to uh like i can't remember what we're watching um, on Prime, and then I was like that. They're like clicking through, and it's like people that have watched this have also watched this. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I was like, ah, they have Lex. My wife was like, what? And I was like, they have fucking Lex. And she's like, what's that? And I was like, you won't remember this, dear darling wife. But approximately four years ago, you made me sell my box sets of Lex on DVD because they were going for. An obscene amount of money on eBay. It's like £40 a box set. Like, it was ridiculous. And she made me sell them both because I hadn't watched them in a while. And I just thought, you know, one day some some benevolent force out there will upgrade that shit to Blu-ray. And I'll just buy it on Blu-ray. And it turns out it was not as popular a show as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that never happened. However, 
Prime, the gods of Prime, uh, have put up there in its entirety. And I will let you know that when I was 18, uh, 18, 19 years old, and my insomnia was first fully kind of developing to the to like a really bad stage, actually, I used to binge watch episodes of Lex um, on a now defunct TV sh- uh, station in the UK called Bravo. Uh, they used to put on Lex at about two in the morning. I fucking love that shit. And, well, eighteen is about the right age to see Lex, also. Oh yeah, because well, one of them was one of the cast goofy, was a one of the it, cast was a porn actress as well. Yeah, it was a little sexy, one. and yeah, oh, she would get it. Zev. Yeah, sure. Zev a B three K. Woo! A B three Harky. So, I would B T K her B three K. I would B L T her B three K. Nice. B L T. Um. <laughs> But yeah, so like it's stuff like that where yeah, no, we're not going to do the full run because it's just too it's too much. It's too much, too much, too much show. Like what well, that's what we'd be doing for the next two or three years. And and Duncan, I I I don't want to speak for you, but I enjoy a little variety in life. Um, that's good because that's not how I sound. Excellent. Um, <laughs> You're like fuck you, McLeish. Fuck you. Uh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah I, I do like the suggestions i think forever night is really funny and when someone pointed out that rick springfield was in the pilot i was like well oh, i gotta God. i gotta watch it i, I didn't i didn't read the whole thread i just saw anders jr said that we should watch it all and i was like that yeah it's uh, a, it's about 70 episodes it would take us about a year to do that show oh which is a fuck long that but oh. doing the first episode as a little uh an aperitif uh might be worthwhile and 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 who knows it might be one of those things where it's like hey if it like as a treat every now and again just to treat ourselves Ooh. we dip in and like do a forever night episode here and there or I something like, it like we that treat ourselves I, I do like that i do too i like i like that's one of the reasons i like to watch looks um so yeah so thanks for all that sorry again uh, moving forward, um, I will. I promise, as this episode releases, I will. I will be much more conversational uh, with uh, the goings on, which I thought the last episode actually was quite funny. So, uh, thanks for <laughs> for for responding there. They've all just all the episodes have just devolved into nonsense. Now. I can't listen to any of them seriously. I actually listened to them down <laughs> with that. Why, how did it, why did it take us three hours and seven minutes to discuss one episode? One episode of Twin Peaks, which didn't have that much going on in it, right? Because we're being idiots, and we're being fucking idiots, <laughs> but in a glorious way. Uh, I would argue. I would argue. Also, uh, fine evidence for any court proceedings that either of us uh, engage in moving forward. Yeah, like, I'm fairly I, sure if me and my wife ever divorce and there's some sort of custody battle, all she has to do is play 10 minutes of this podcast. And I'll never see my child again, but... Um, you know, um, <laughs> I, I think there are two never sides see to my that coin. They look at me like Alex Jones. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I make Alex Jones sound insane. He's like, that. the vampire pedophiles from Jupiter have the monolith which connects back to the lizard people and the Illuminati and the Bilderberg Group of America. And well, I'm, I'm like that. Duncan, what it is over here is you've got the reptilians who have been secretly pulling the puppet strings of the Brandenburgs, your Illuminati, and, and your Templars. 
Yep. And uh, your Freemasons, I'll tell you one thing. You, you can take this to the bank right now. You ask a 57th level Freemason how he got to be 57th level, he has to kill you for asking that question. Yep. So they'll listen to that, and then they will listen to three seconds of me going, caca! And Alex Jones is more sane than me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I That's all I'm saying. Because now I got to I got to do that sound drop right there, and we're not even talking about the show yet. <laughs> Listeners, if you want to know, the, yeah, if you want to know the secret, that the sound drop happens when Duncan makes the sound. <laughs> That's when it happens. It's not necessarily me, and not just a mention of Deputy Hawk. It, it's very specifically Duncan making the yep. noise, but that also operates outside of the bounds of the Twin Peaks conversation. Mm-hmm. So now just moving forward, anytime we're doing a show together, yep. Deputy Hog gets mentioned and you make the noise. Ka-ka! And there's the sound drop. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I have so much power. You do. So much power oozing through me. Yeah, like when we're we're talking, you know, Westworld season two a year from now. <laughs> It's gonna. It's still gonna be there. Um, yeah, more like the samurai robot comes in, and during the scene, we get this kind of Hawkeye view of the. It's like what the fuck. Oh, Duncan, you're making my life so hard right now. Yeah, it's okay. it's like when uh like you have to pay royalties every time you say hopscotch or something. Yeah. You know, and it's like just shut the fuck up about hopscotch. Um. <laughs> Buddy, you said it twice. I know. I'm, this one's God. coming at your pocket, Rans, though. That's because I'm. Pocket. That's because I'm rolling, Duncan. I got fat stacks. I don't give a <laughs> shit about some hopscotch, 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 hopscotch. <laughs> so that's how you invoke a shite Beetlejuice. Like, hopscotch <laughs> arrives. Like, hopscotch, hey, uh... like like a bunny in a tattered outfit. Yeah, you know, like like one of them showbiz pizza place joints. Only <laughs> like like a real Five Nights at Freddy's kind of rabbit. That's just like, hey, I'm Hopscotch. You call me? Yeah, you call me, or you just fucking ranking up the the rarities, big player. Hey, hey, you got any Newports? Hopscotch <laughs> needs a little fix, and he don't smoke regulars. <laughs> hey, what kind of, what kind of place are you living in now? You got a place maybe Hopscotch can sleep for a couple of nights. <laughs> Like this is like we like hopscotch for some reason has been given like a slightly deeper voice to the, the that the, the guy in um, Total Recall from <laughs> Rick and Morty. You know, I'm walking over here. Right. <laughs> uh, what is his name? Cousin Tony or something? It's yeah, I, oh, I'm I, walking over here. I man, I need to go back and watch the early season. I I binge watched Rick and Morty in a way that was unhealthy and uh so my memory of it's real fragmented not because i was just drinking all the time although that's true too but because oh, bitch <laughs> um uh, it, it's because though that i watched them all all at once it was like i had a rick and morty dump in my brain yeah and and so it's i i need to go back and kind of savor it a little bit more because it was just like i need to put all of this in my eyeballs right now um and I'll tell you, season the- two episode, I think it's episode two, which is total recall, is the single greatest cartoon episode in the history of man. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. It's fucking hilarious. It's just everything about that episode is just so wacky. I'll, I'll tell you, the, the moment I fell in love with Rick and Morty, I'd been amused by it all along, but the moment where it was, it became love, you know, I felt the, the tingle in my toes and my heart, as Adrian Cooper would say. Um, see how I tie it into the show? Like, it, yeah, like any that. of this matters. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the point where uh, Rick has built the robot to bring him butter. <laughs> and the robot says to to rick he's like what is my purpose and uh he's like well it's to bring me butter whenever i ask you to and the robot goes oh my god and rick's response is yeah welcome to the party pal uh <laughs> it's just this like perfect one-two punch of existential nihilism that I really adore. So um... yeah, I, 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 I like. I'll, I'll tell you that Mings is on a, a kind of baser level. At the moment, I fell in love with that show is where they actually coined the term the Cronenberg. He's been Cronenberg. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, I was like, I just want to hug the creator of this show right now. That is the greatest fucking thing that's ever happened. Yeah, and, just and, as just soon as you hear that, that yeah, oh. you know you're home. Like I'm yeah. among my people. It's like I was I was wearing uh, a T-shirt the other day uh, that says you are not connected to yourself. It's, mm-hmm. you know, the Suicide Club thing, and it's got yep. the dots above and below that. And I passed by somebody on the street, and they went, hey. And it was it, like they didn't say anything more than that, but it was the recognition of, like, that's from Suicide Club. And immediately mm-hmm. it was like, you and I are, we can be friends. Yes. You know, I I like that. I like that cultural shorthand the uh, that you get every now and again. Um, hey, Duncan. Hey, Bo. He says, beginning another segment. Um, <laughs> you and I used to, uh, on this very show, before we called it Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaksies, um, used to recommend movies to one another. <laughs> I, I'm saying this like you don't know. Um, but are, re- you remember... Um, <laughs> when we used to talk about movies more um so anyway the beginning of every show we still like to dip our toes into that and we're gonna uh discuss a movie we've seen seen recently or, or television show uh last time duncan uh, like fucked it up and was like my favorite's twin peaks the show we're already watching and it was like god no. damn it i gotta no. edit all this out. no no that was that was two whenever two Time is a ago. flat circle, Duncan. I don't. Yeah, keep the, up with that. <laughs> don't you do a rusting call on me, right? Not on this bitch, right? Um, <laughs> no, in the last episode, I said watch the Palma. It's a great documentary. That's, that's, well, right, love that's it. right. Um, but so, what have you been watching recently that I can later mock you about? <laughs> you son of a bitch. Um, I checked out a little movie that you recommended about two episodes ago. Uh, called Hell House LLC. Yeah, our, our old pal Joseph uh, was watching earlier. Yes, he watched it earlier. Joseph, the man behind the plan that was Duncan and Bogo to Twin Peaks, he's, he's, he was the one that originally suggested it, which feels like an eternity ago. It feels like I don't, another life ago. I don't remember uh, a time before it, quite honestly. <laughs> I remember learning to ride a bike and doing this show. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> oh yes i checked that movie out um 
yeah, I liked it. I don't know. I don't know if I liked it as much as you liked it. Um, I thought it was really clever. I thought the the composition of the movie, um, was done in a very creepy way, and I can see where you said there was the shades of late Mungo. Yeah, I, those I, interview there, segments are kind of ish. Yes, but the, like specifically where they take screen grabs and then they zoom in on particular parts of the screen grab is very that's a late Mungo technique. Um or you know if you want to go or even Ken further Burns. back. Yeah, if you want to go even further back. Um it's uh it's uh the curse. Uh, Japanese fan footage movie. Technique, no Roy, it? yeah, it's a fantastic quite, quite a bit. movie. One of the, like legitimately one of the greatest underseen um fan footage movies of all time. Um incidentally it's streaming on Shudder. So if you are out there and have Shudder, go and check that out there. And if you don't, fucking get Shudder for five bucks a month. That is a service. Yeah, There's get some... it for five bucks a month and your first month's free. Yeah, there is good shit on on Shudder. And I don't mean, some of the original stuff is fine, but um, man, like they just, they pick up movies nobody else does and they bring up like old 70s shit and oh man. I like I'm behind it. Even the movies, I'm like that movie sucks, but I'm kind of yeah. glad it's here. You know? Yeah, I think the fact that they have they have people in the industry do uh, curations of movies as well on a theme, which I think is a really cool idea as well. It's just something that they're doing, just a little bit different, which I quite I quite enjoy. Um, anyway, so yeah, Hell House LLC is um, on Amazon Prime in the UK. So I checked it out, and for the most part, I liked it. Um, it's funny, like today, the day that we were recording this, there's been um, news announced that the the house of the house of October built um, is getting a sequel, and I remember watching that and thinking that idea of a haunted haunt, so to speak, was quite an interesting concept. I just didn't think the way that they executed, particularly in the last ten minutes, was all that satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing this one go down a kind of similar vein in some respects, but have it more contained to just one house and without really necessarily ever giving you answers, which I quite like in horror movies. I sometimes, my my head hurts when people try and explain too much about what's going on on the screen. You don't need to do that. You know what I mean? Sometimes mystery is a good thing because you as the viewer start to fill the things in, you start to fill those blanks in, and that is it. Nothing is as scary as your imagination. Nothing that anyone can put on the screen will scare you as bad as you can scare yourself. So, you know, for the most part, I thought I thought it was a really, really good movie. I thought the ending was a... The ending didn't quite stick it for me. Uh, yeah, to, because, par- to paraphrase the young ones, there are as yet undiscovered tribes in the Congo that saw that ending coming. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was it was it was fairly on the you know it was fairly on the button, um, and then I felt once they gave us, once they kind of gave that reveal to an extent, they then kind of awkwardly shumbled on for an extra five minutes, uh, given like a second in which I didn't necessarily think we really needed. Yeah. But with that super solid movie, I yeah. thought that some good the, scares. The cast all, I thought. Yeah, I thought the cast all felt like. One of my big gripes with found footage movies is sometimes people go a bit cheap on the actors. Actors all felt like real people. The the story felt really cool. Some of the the scares genuinely creepy. Um, so much so that it's it's kind of I, I I think it might be one of the ones that I put Baz up against for Baz v um Halloween this year. I genuinely think 
there is potential in that movie if he watches it by himself at night with the lights off that movie will fuck with him and that's kind of what I wanted um, and I, I, I will say very quickly uh, because we're talking about Shudder I got a chance to finally check out Sadako versus Kayako the ring versus the grudge yeah all right so uh for those who do not listen to hero hero go show uh first of all you should um second yeah, of all of you should. i i did a show about that and i just for recapsies on twin peaksies i thought that movie was incredibly goofy but super fun i would not necessarily disagree with you i thought that, that you're you're it's a very, very goofy movie. Um, I didn't particularly... There's a couple of things I didn't really like. Um, but for the most part, by the time the movie finished, I was like that. All right, that's you know that's just a big ball of fun. Um, yeah. The, the things I didn't like was they kind of changed the mythology kind of both Kayako and Sadako to an extent. Yeah. I didn't like the new movie that they show you on the videotape, which is essentially a corridor and she's walking out a door. Yeah, was that like, was a little chintzy. Um, and yeah, I just didn't I didn't get that. And I understand it's because they're going to show it quite a few times and they don't want the full... Because the original movie in, the, in Ringu, I think that original clip was on for about a minute. And they don't want to do that. They want to make it far simpler. The kind of static noise that comes over the phone as opposed to her saying... You know, in seven days you will die, or whatever as she says in that movie. Um, the they kind of tried to do the Freddy versus Jason thing in the movie as well, where you know they they try and expand things out to give the characters weaknesses, like the villains' weaknesses, because we're going to have this battle between the two at some point. So we need to display weaknesses, and obviously in Freddy versus Jason. For some reason, Jason all of a sudden became scared of water, which he never was in any of the fucking movies. Um, <laughs> God, that line in in Freddy versus Jason, where uh, Brittany, what's her fuck, um, Brittany Murphy <laughs> or somebody, I don't Still know. Brittany Murphy, but I know what you're on about. Uh, yeah, it looks like her, <laughs> um, and is I think also named Brittany. But when she's like, "That's it, Freddy's." afraid of fire jason's afraid of water it's like what the fuck are you talking about that's yeah it's just fucking stupid that like, is a actually leap of logic no one should have taken fucking stupid like like Fred, freddy's scared of fire well yes i can see that the guy burned alive however he's in your dreams so that doesn't matter um and, you know like and if he's if he's mortal when he gets pulled out into your dreams that's where you get kill him yes everyone should be scared of fire right just saying right regardless if you're fucking afraid sure. <laughs> like totally that's just you know uh, in the case of jason's one that's just stupid like he spent like the best part of like fucking two movies submerged underwater with a chain around his neck and that never fucking bothered him I so yeah i don't think it's hate or like a fear of water so much as a man i'm so sick of being in fucking water <laughs> I'm sick of these motherfucking kids pouring water on my motherfucking head. Yeah, you know it's it just it was it's just a stupid. But they they try and do a similar thing, um, kinda with um with uh, you know Sadako with you know if the tape gets damaged she gets damaged. So, and I was like, right, I understand that we need to we can't have these two omnipotent you know entities just squaring off against each other. Um, I can, I can kind of see that. I love the the professor that does the 
well, there's a couple of goofy fucking moments uh, with, with with exorcisms in that movie that just don't make any fucking sense. Oh but, my um, god, yeah. The, I'll um, tell you, the characters of uh, uh, Tamo is the little girl and Keizo, mm-hmm. the those exorcist twins, uh, yeah. are the little girl. Man, I, I want like five movies about those characters. Yeah, the, to me that's like, you know when people are always like, yeah, we should have another Insidious movie to follow Tucker and Specs because, you know, they're... No, 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 no. That's not the movie I want to see. Let's follow these fuckers. Like, I want to see that movie. I don't want yeah. to see, the, you know, what, what, let me see their movie. Their movie seems far more interesting. Well, it c- seems like some crazy shit could go down. Yeah, and there's no bullshit with those characters. Like, neither little girl or guy either one. The only thing surlier than the one is the other. And just having them just lay it down for people like, yeah, you're probably going to die. Like this curse is yeah. serious business. And and there are moments in this in, in uh Sadako versus Kayako where they kind of tell the characters, like, yeah, you're kinda fucked. Sorry. Yeah. You know. But I, I do like the the stupid premise of, hey, if one character is cursed by Sadako and one is cursed by Kayako, we crisscross, we strangers on a Japanese ghosted. Yeah. Where they get double cursed. Yeah. <laughs> And the the ending of the movie, the the combination of the two characters together to create one, like, at first what looks like some sort of weird Lovecraftian fucking tentacle demon creature, uh, which ultimately becomes the, you know, the combination of your your worst nightmare, you know, a a sadical-kayakal hybrid. Sayako is what they call it. Yeah, Sayako, which I think is, I think that's, I think that's really cool. (laughs) It's kind of awesome, yeah. Yeah. Like, but the but like I say, there was a there was a couple of things where they they fuck with the mythology a little bit. A couple of the like the the, the teacher that's teaching them about you know curses and all the rest, and he's like, let's talk about it. he's like let's let's do the big urban legends here, and he goes through two which like the the screen grabs of them are like on ancient fucking papyrus. You know, from like like two thousand AD, uh, you know, two thousand BC. Sorry, the Japanese believed in this. You know, and you know, five hundred AD, the Japanese believed in this. Oh yeah, and these these other two curses that only happened in the last like couple of years. Uh, this house and this videotape. Um, oh, which I was like, all right, really. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I I, I would be. I would be hard pressed to say I really liked it. I thought at the end that like there was a bit in the middle where I started to lose a bit of interest, but I thought it, unlike um, uh, the House of October Bill, uh, this one stuck the fucking landing. The end of that movie was exactly what you want from, and they didn't try and well, they did kind of do the Freddy versus Jason ending as well, but I like their version like much better. So you know there is no winner. Um, well, there, it's like uh, you know, Freddy versus Jason, as you said. You can't, you can't have a clear winner because then you're fucked. You fuck over the other franchise, right? Pretty much. You you alienate you, you half the audience that showed up. Tell you what was interesting though, um, and I know that we're kind of really prolonging the intro to this episode, which is going to be super long anyway. Um, but the news that they're rebooting the Grudge, yeah. All right, and uh, it's the director of. Uh, eyes of my mother that's doing it which to me is a weird fit it's um, it's but i like it because it is so unusual mm-hmm. and um i that movie haunted the fuck out of me 
eyes of my mother creep me out, which is something almost martyrs-esque about that movie when watching it. It, it just There was something just wholly unnatural and just didn't, you know, very unsettling. And it's not just because of the actions of what happens in there. Just it was, I think it's a matter of fact, the way the main antagonist uh, protagonist depend on your 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 bent on the film um it's just matter of fact about everything they're doing um you know it's just this is just the way they've grown up and this is just normal to them uh which was wholly unsettling so i i am i am interested i i think it's interesting that they're they've decided that they're just going to reboot it again um the, to, yeah, that's the big bummer to me is that I would almost rather them do an, an offshoot. Like, Rings is a shitty movie, clearly. It's a terrible movie. But I like them taking the story in a different direction with The Grudge as opposed to just like, well, we're just going to remake it. and um, I, Or maybe by reboot they're saying it's going to be a different kind of animal. I don't know. Yeah, but, reboot these days doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. Right, like, like, like Evil Dead the remake of that could kind of conceivably be called a reboot yeah. um, or, you know, whatever. But I, you know, I would love to see another great grudge movie. Um, I mean, that's clearly right up my alley. So uh, I'm, I'm on one level. I'm totally for this. And on another, another level, I don't know, man. I mean, like the grudge and Juan and all those films, are essentially scare machines. Like the plot mm-hmm. is incidental. It's just about the gags. And the thing is that, you know, Juwan and the grudge, both, I would, I would say, um, get it right. Like they understand the formula. They understand how to put those scenes together and the scares pay off. And the mythology is fine. It's, it's there. It's just enough to give you the skeleton to hang the scares on. Mm-hmm. and it, I just hope they don't take it in a real plotty direction. It's like, no, just let this be a great, scary movie. Like, yeah, you know. I'm kind of hoping they... I hope they kind of go with the non-linear kind of style of, like, John the Grudge, because I, I really... That was... I mean, I loved the remake, but the the remake is definitely a Western version of that story. So they strip out a lot of the different timelines... Um, the, the kind of non-linear way of telling the story, which I quite dig about the original Japanese one, um, is the fact that through all these different, without being overtly aware that we're jumping through different time periods, we realise that all these stories are linked intrinsically, uh, which I think is a really, really cool concept. Yeah. And I think it can be done, like movies like Oculus, to me, prove that it can be done for Western audiences in a way which isn't too dumbed down, but isn't too like confusing for your average cinema goer. Um, that yeah, I, I would love to see them kind of tackle that road. I would just, I'm, I'm just really curious to see what they're going to do that's different. Yeah, you know I mean, because that that original remake is, and I mean, it benefits from the fact that it had a lot of the same cast and it's the same director. Um, but it's a it is of of the of the ilk of kind of Americanized tellings of Japanese horror movies. It's probably near the top. I think. I think it's. I think I preferred it to the Ring remake. Um, it's definitely better than Dark Waters, Shutter. You know, 
like all, all these movies is that it's, it's definitely at the top for me because I saw it at the cinema and I genuinely not often do I jump in my seat when I watch a movie but I genuinely shot it in my seat five times during that fucking movie because um, it just got it right it just got it spot on so um, and this director there, there is no there was no goofy tricks or anything like that at all and and their you know debut so it's a very yeah. serious director to pick for a movie like this so it kind of part of me hopes that it picked them because they saw something in eyes of your mother that they want to to harness for their one which which might mean we're in for something like legitimately of a different sort of kind of a different beast entirely which I'm kind of cool with. If you're going to reboot that again, give me something different. Yeah. Or, or it could even be as simple as, hey, they were going to make this anyway. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's kind of that Mike Flanagan. He's got the hot hand right now, you know? That's why you we put said, him on Ouija about, too. Yeah, they, we've spoken about this before. This seems to be the new template for, for essentially, indie directors now in the horror genre. If you release a, an indie directorial debut and it is very well received that you almost your next testing ground is you know it's generally a sequel to some sort of franchise um look at things like sinister 2 look at things like ouija 2 um, annabelle two which de- has been getting yeah. good reviews i hear i'll believe that when i see it no like, shit see, i like, listen see like there is something skeptical that springs up in my mind when a movie has been seen by very few people, and all of a sudden the internet is telling me that it's sitting at a hundred percent. That to me reeks of there is a there's a marketing machine behind we, that. We did a fan screening of people who said their favorite movie was, you know, yeah, uh, the Conjuring Two or whatever. It's you know like there's uh it's just we like I there's plenty of movies that go up that within its initial you know first couple of weeks of being out of the critics are at the 99% or 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and it's never publicised all over the fucking internet. This one is. Um, right. And I, I have issues with that. Yeah. I don't think that's, I don't think that's right. So Does, I think doesn't pass is, the sniff test, Duncan, is, is how yeah. we say it here in the States. Yeah, there's something suspect definitely yeah. about it and um, we will find out when it arrives. I am happy to say that I would love to be proved wrong. I would love sure. Annabelle 2 to be a fucking terrifying horror movie because that's what I want. But I saw that first one, and that one was a fucking hodgepodge mess of yeah. let's steal every trope from everything we can possibly get our hands on, every cliche, and shove them all in one movie, but let's not do any of them right. Let's just kind of pay lip service to Rosemary's Baby and Poltergeist and you know exorcist, the exorcist of course yeah, yeah. Like, let's let's just pay lip service to say you know look we we know these movies exist without necessarily doing any of it to to the standard of any of the movies it's referencing so yes by all means give me the terrifying one it's also worth noting that ouija 2 um and its first couple of weeks of being shown to critics was also sitting at 100 percent on rotten tomatoes and as much as i think that is much better than the original movie it is not an amazing horror movie. It has flaws. Well, but Mike Flanagan directs sure. the shit out of that movie. So absolutely, it has flaws. But I would, I would, I really enjoyed 
watching Ouija 2. I think it's a fun movie. I think it's got some genuinely creepy moments. I think Mike Flanagan tasked with, hey, you have to do a follow-up to Ouija, which is a famously turdish movie. Uh, Yes. Yeah, I think, I mean, how do you not... How do you not go up, but he not only went up, he kind of legitimized that franchise. I think so as well. I and think I think like after seeing his one, I could imagine what I could imagine myself watching a Ouija three. Um if he yeah, especially if he were back on board. If they oh, were yeah. like, hey, if, come if back. If and hook do him first. again? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um Man, but yeah, so like I'm just oh, yeah. oh. So, so I'm I'm just throwing that out there. Like, just be wary, listeners, that we we both say that we enjoy that movie. It's not an a hundred percent movie, though. And for the first two weeks it was out, that's all I read on the internet was you know Ouija Two was going to be the most terrifying movie I've ever seen. It's a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not. It's not that sort of movie at all. Good movie, but not a hundred percent movie. So if they're saying the same about Annabelle Two, be wary. Uh, but when I'll websites tell are telling you that you have to go and see something like that, and they're basing it on a review aggregator and not actually reviewing the movie themselves. And that's like Bloody Disgusting and Dread Central are all telling you right now it's sitting at 100%, but neither of those sites have reviewed it yet. So Also, if Annabelle 2, like if the review was Annabelle 2 is as good as Ouija 2, I'm there opening night. Oh yeah, I, I, go, I would totally go and see that. Totally go and see that at the cinema. There would be no qualms for me at all. If that's, if that's what came out, at, I would totally go and see that. All right. Yeah. Um, what What did you watch? Sorry, I've just like I've taken us off on about twenty tangents, but no, I no, feel no. Like we it's legitimately good. got some stuff off our chest. Ball. Yeah, I, I feel good about all of that. Um, let me bring you down a little bit, Duncan. Uh-oh. Let me bring you down a little bit, Duncan. Um, <laughs> Don't. It's still too soon. Bro. It's too it's soon. Too, too soon. soon. Um, let me tell you about watching Ouija Experiment too, Duncan. You fucking just you know before you pass judgment, how about how about you listen? How about you open up your ears, maybe your heart, and you listen to this story? So <laughs> you know, like my race like just hates everyone in as, general. As why cold do you, why as do you give me climate? I know. Yeah, why 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 are you like like what you're doing just now is you've set yourself on fire and I have two canisters in front of me. One of them has water to put out the fire the other one has gasoline and i'll tell you right now you saying that to me wants me to pick up the gasoline more than i would have wanted to anyway because i'm scottish and i kind of wish i had an extra can of gasoline just to make sure i think i I think you're gonna be i think you're gonna be picking up the water i really do so uh, (laughs) i think you're drowning right now (laughs) so i start i start watching weecha experiment 2 which is on netflix and therefore a a source of constant temptation (laughs) Watch me, boo! Right. I'm free. Um, remember how funny Ouija Experiment was? And uh, so I start Ouija Experiment 2. And it's, I don't know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. It's like, uh, you know, this this movie's a lean hour 20. I'll knock it out and go to bed. Um, it opens with a last time on the Ouija Experiment. Where oh, we you're do- fucking joking. Wait, wait, it gets fucking better. They so they give you the quick recap of the movie. I was like, oh yeah, man, that movie is terrible. So all right, so here's where it gets super fucked up, and this is the point where I was like, you know what? No thanks, Ouija experiment too. Um, 
so they you know they're showing the previously on the ouija experiment the camera pulls out of the screen and you're watching an audience watching the ouija experiment oh no fuck that movie <laughs> wait wait i i was still like at that point i was a gape in fairness i was like are you fucking kidding me the balls on this the fucking balls on this movie so <laughs> fucking balls you motherfucker you <laughs> you motherfucker we just come here you motherfucker I, like i was still kind of in its corner because i was like i can't believe you're going this route and then, like, the audience is, like, standing up and applauding the way that no audience ever, ever, ever has for Ouija Experiment. Yeah, I would have booed it by then and thrown something at my TV. I mean, they watched it to completion and were satisfied, and that's not something that happens with Ouija Experiment. Um, <laughs> and then uh, they're like, okay, everybody, we're going to bring out the, the, the cast. Nothing happened to them. That was all a movie. Bring them on out here. And so the cast of Ouija Experiment starts strolling out on stage. And it, because the movie also shows you the previously on the Ouija Experiment, I'm reminded how terrible every actor is. And one of them is like, hey, everybody. Oh, man, so glad you enjoyed the movie. And it was like, nope, click. And that was it. <laughs> That's all I've seen of the Ouija Experiment 2. It's all I ever need to see of the Ouija Experiment 2. Um <laughs> That movie, like, for being a terrible found footage movie, it somehow found a way to crawl up its own ass. And Jesus. I'm like, man, the, I don't have time for that. Like, I need I need a bad horror movie to not know it's bad. Mm -hmm. And Ouija Experiment 2 was getting a little highfalutin, Duncan. Um, <laughs> so what I did watch, though, that I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep quick, is I watched uh, on Netflix as well, the Castlevania series. Oh, right. So I have, I have watched the first episode and I have not went back, not because I don't want to go back. I've just, I've been watching shitloads of other things, but that first episode had me hooked in straight away. It was fucking amazing. Well, all right. So what I realized, like I, I did the same thing. I watched the first episode. I was like, man, that was pretty fucking good. And then I realized that the whole thing is five episodes. Hmm. And so, I mean, the thing, it runs at about two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like 20 odd minutes an episode. So yeah. Far off it. So, uh, so I just, I, I binged it and, uh, but it seems weird. It was like the length of a movie. I watched the Castlevania movie that they're calling a series. Um, yeah. but I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. It, it gets into some dark stuff. But, you know, I like I enjoy uh, some of the anime art style and the story is good. There there were a couple of lines that legitimately made me laugh. Um, and it's it's dark, man. There's some dark shit that goes down on that show, uh, even in the first episode. You know, like it, it like the first episode is the setup, obviously, for the rest of the season. You get into other characters, but the whole storyline of like here is, you know, Vlad Tepish. And this woman that comes into his life, like almost up style. And who would have ever thought I would, would have compared the <laughs> Castlevania series to up. But it does a really good job of like creating this relationship between these two characters that you buy into. And then jumps forward very quickly mm -hmm. to be like, all right, well, you know that they're into each other. So it's no surprise that this happened. And I thought it was really good. I thought it was really well done. Um, Warren Ellis, I, I think, is the guy behind it. 
mm-hmm. who I am not super familiar with, and I feel like I should be. So sorry, Warren Ellis. <laughs> um, I think he's a comic writer. Uh, yeah. Is why I've heard the name before. But anyway, seems like a real, like solid, uh, solid writer, and and you should finish it. It's there is some absolutely rad stuff happening in uh, in Castlevania. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I did see there was basically the the general consensus online from a couple of our our podcast colleagues um, was excellent. Wish there'd been more, but it's been greenlit for a season two, so people just have to wait. Yeah, it is a bummer that there's so little of it, uh, but you know that's just the curse of the times we live in, where it's like, why isn't there more of this right now? Because I want it, and I'm yeah. I believe that I should get what I want. Don't you think that's true? Uh, yeah. Netflix doesn't help that when they put everything up just in a winner. Right. I mean, that creates the habit, but I'm yeah. old enough that I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember having a back in my day, Duncan. We used to <laughs> wait for weeks at a time for the next episode of a show we liked. Um, I, I remember I remember getting like super into fucking Lost and then them just taking like six months off in the middle of a season. <laughs> like, fuck you. We'll be back in six months. Oh yeah, remember that season you were watching? Here's the rest of it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I remember that. So when people moan that there's only four episodes or five episodes of an animation, which by the way takes fucking ages to do. Um, yeah, and you it's... know, just because they're not going. Yeah, uh, relax. It is coming. In fact, if anything, it's likely to happen quicker now because everyone seems to really fucking like it. Yeah, I, I haven't talked to a ton of people about it, but the few people I've seen uh, mentioning it on uh, the internet, um, the the response seems to be really good to it, and and, and deservedly so. I think it's one of the cooler things I've seen uh, in a while, and, and like I don't I don't have a, a great fondness for the Castlevania video game series. I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I didn't play them all by any stretch. You know, I played the NES uh, Castlevania stuff. And yeah, that was it. I mean, it was fine. And I, I think they've managed. I know there was some mythology to all of that, but I like the fact that they were like, well, eh, this is kind of close. <laughs> you know, like they weren't married to it. <laughs> it's, like, eh, it's, it's fine. Like if you would play the video game, you'd be like, oh, yeah, he's got a whip. All right. That's cool. Um, which he does. And it's cool. Um <laughs> You yeah, because you haven't even met the character yet, but uh, the Trevor Belmont character is kind of the main character of the show, and mm-hmm. he just appears in season two. Like I don't think he's in season or not season two, but episode two. I don't think he's in episode one at all. So, I don't think I've saw him yet. Yeah, so you haven't met like the main character of the show. Um, nice. I can't, yeah. I can't wait. I, I will. I probably will have watched it all before we record our next episode. Well, we're gonna pause right here. You're gonna watch them all, and we'll well then we'll talk about. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's silly, Duncan. And this is a serious show. It's a serious look at Twin Peaks. So um, I've been told. We've been recording for an hour and we haven't mentioned the episode yet. <laughs> Duncan, tonight's first episode is entitled Variations on Relations. Oh, uh, nice. It is right. episode 19 of season two. So close. Yeah, yeah, so we are, close. <laughs> man, spitting distance. Um so uh it is directed by one jonathan singer who directed such films as codename emerald and down came a blackbird um yeah um it is written by names you might be more familiar with duncan 
one Mark Frost. Mm. Mm. Hey, Mark, welcome back. And uh, <laughs> Harley Payton, uh, who uh, is usually with the team of uh, uh, Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls, who have uh, di- directed a number, or not directed, but written a number of these episodes. But uh, Robert Ingalls out, Mark Frost in. Uh, uh, he comes comes off the bench to get weird. It's a uh, good substitution. Right, like, that's a deep bench. Uh, when you're saying, like, hey, let's bring Mark Frost out here in a couple of episodes, maybe David Lynch will direct an episode again. What? Oh, fuck. Mm. Oh, Duncan. Um, <laughs> all right, sorry. <laughs> um, hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> culture, culture. Yeah. All right, so, uh, tonight's episode, uh, begins where, uh, where we kind of ended, which is in, uh, Spooky Alcave. And uh, there is the petroglyph, uh, the hieroglyph that's been discovered there. Um, and as uh, you may recall, at the end of the last episode, uh, Wyndham Earl, Master of Disguise, snuck into the cave, Duncan, and uh, did the old turning the petroglyph thing uh, to match the symbol behind him, did upside downsies with it, mm-hmm. and the whole place started shaking. Um, well, this takes place after all that happened, because we don't know what happened after the whole lot of shaking going on, uh, because now we have uh, Deputy Andy, Sheriff Truman, uh, Agent Cooper, and, uh, of course, Deputy Hawk. Um, <laughs> nice. Um, that's a callback to this episode. Um <laughs> So they're in there checking checking shit out, and they realize, like Agent Cooper, super sleuth that he is, is like, "Hey, somebody somebody's been tampering with our petroglyph." And uh, Deputy Hawk, being awesome, is like, "Hey, there's a track on the ground over here. Did you see that, Agent Cooper? No, hmm, super sleuth, whatever." So <laughs> these tracks are just like the ones I found uh, somewhere else. When tomorrow was, I can't remember now. And uh, he's like, also, it's got a broken heel, just like the other one. And Angel Cooper's like, Wendell Merle's been here, and and who knows what he's been up to. Um, the probably the the best moment in this scene is when Agent Cooper, looking at the the petroglyph or hieroglyph or whatever, uh, turns to Deputy Andy and says, "I need a large scale replica of this hieroglyph." Yeah. And, and Deputy <laughs> Andy's just like, "All right." Uh, but it's again one of the wonderful turns of phrase, and that's kind of it. It's just the realization, like, hey, our heroes have discovered that Wyndham Earl has been inside uh, Creepy Owl Cave, and th- that can't be good. Yeah, I, I love because they're like, yeah, it can be good. We wonder why he's been there, and God bless this episode. It's like that. We're not, we're not gonna make you stew on that or wait on it. We're gonna answer it. Yeah, pretty much in the next scene. <laughs> And, oh man the next thing like we don't have to paraphrase too much here because you can better goddamn believe that the opening lines of this episode are the stories of the white lodge and black lodge mm-hmm. that Wyndham earl is telling his captive audience uh namely <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> leo yeah, captive audience of of leo and fucking ted Raimi. welcome to the show ted Raimi. the <laughs> fuck are you doing here what the fuck is... And you know what I realized? Ted Raimi would have been perfectly cast as James Hurley. Yeah, but it would be... You, you don't quiet. look like Laura. Yeah, I could, I could handle that. 
right. could handle the goofiness of Ted Raimi delivering those lines as opposed to the the stalwart fucking face of granite. <laughs> oh, sure. Emotion. Make fun when I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, you are gone and no one misses you, Jay. I'll be back. But, Right, Arnie. He does. He looks like a shite Arnie from Terminator. He that does. He, does. On. He, he he looks like a very effete. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He he's like, mm, are you Sarah Connor? And would you like some crisps? <laughs> why the crisps? Eh? And why is Hannibal Lecter here, Bo? I, why is Hannibal Lecter? <laughs> well, you know, more the merrier. <laughs> so yeah. So basically, um, Ted Raimi's in this this episode. He's been lured under the guise of a party and some beer um, to Wyndham Earl's cabin. And Wyndham Earl is telling this tale of this fantastical realm known as the White Lodge, which is full of everything that's... It is all the kind of... All the, you know, sugar and spice and all things nice. <laughs> Basically going through it. Um, and it's saccharine place. You know, this this hellhole of, of good... Um, is not something that Windermere is interested in. Rather, he's interested in its polar opposite, known as the Black Lodge, uh, a place of unimaginable power and darkness. He is going to harness that power. He's going to find this Black Lodge. And, um, yeah, so so now we know there's a Black Lodge. Well, we knew there was a White Lodge, um, but now we know there's a Black Lodge. And the Black Lodge is where the bad things come from. So we could maybe safely assume in this episode, that the Black Lodge is where Bob's from. I I think uh, you're probably correct. Um, mm-hmm. Can we say a, a couple of words about Ted Raimi's costume? Uh, like Ted Raimi's costume looks like Wyndham Merrill's biker costume from earlier on, and the, for some reason there was a budgetary constraint, probably because they knew the show was going to get cancelled, so they just put on Ted Raimi. But it's pretty, like, he's got the goatee, like, he's supposed to be, uh, like, a late 80s, early 90s rocker, you know, yes. uh, like a metal guy, and he's got the goatee and the bandana and the uh, the shitty leather vest and all that stuff, and he's in, you know, the construct, and it's just like, hey, man, like, it's a real <laughs> kind of, you know, SoCal kind of accent that he's adopting, which yeah. is anyway it i adore it doesn't uh, make sense doesn't make sense it looks like it looks like for some reason someone is like like, like someone in casting has said ted Raimi, we'll get to, we like we like sam so we'll just use ted can we use ted right that's fine let's get him in right um i'm right, not well, too sure what we can do like have you seen any of the performances by Polly shore you have right you are metal Polly shore um, go for it. You are doing an impression of Brendan Fraser in Airheads, which has not been released yet. Which is tougher to do, naturally, because of the uh, contract. It's tougher to do, because it's not. In fact, I now think that Airheads may have copied Ted Raimi's performance. That's all I'm saying, Bo. All I'm saying, thrown shade. I mean, once again, Twin Peaks being being the source of all things good. The Rosetta Stone of all things good. Um, And, alright, so here's what I like about this episode already all right tell me is that we've got a pretty great line from agent cooper about the like i need a full full size accurate replica that all that stuff it was like hey that's pretty funny and yep. then you throw in ted Raimi and windham earl telling the story of the white lodge and black lodge mm-hmm. and i'm like 
man, is Twin Peaks back? Actually, <laughs> we were thinking, did Mark Frost help write this episode? Oh, he did. Well, that makes sense because we're moving the plot along. Well, not I only that, been... it's like Twin Peaks decided to get loose. Like, it's like getting... right, because lights are going out, man. Curtains coming down. They know the end's coming. So let's get weird, Duncan. And <laughs> and Twin Peaks does, like, starting in this episode, shit starts getting weird for the sake of David Lynch. Like, Mark Frost is back, too. I, like, in this episode, it's almost like Mark Frost is like, eh, eh, eh. all right, let's, we're, we got to wrap this up and, and quit fucking around with all the bullshit. Let's, let's put the pedal down. And also, let's get a little weird. And... <laughs> man he's he's coming in soon he's coming in soon just hold it back hold it back um but i think like he was he was the spirit animal of this show in the last four episodes um so all right so we go from that so we've got two pretty great scenes in a row yeah and so then we show up in the uh martell household to just put tamp the brakes a little bit to be like yeah all right we we got to take care of this too everybody it's cool. But Pete is trying to compose a poem to Josie, dearly departed Josie, um, and is not having too great a time of it. Uh, cannot get uh, his rhymes just right. Doesn't, doesn't know how to flow. You know, he'd be, he'd be crap in a rap battle. Um, <laughs> he's also playing chess while he's doing it. Right. Like distracting. Working out the moves and, yeah, it's like the Wyndham Earl game. And uh, see you next Tuesday. Catherine Martell swings into the room with the box that she was given by Jones. Here's a box. Um, and she takes the box. Uh, Not a tumor. There's no tumor in the box. Um, and But, it, like, it, it, it turns out it's a puzzle box. It You know, like, they can't get it open. Not since uh, Jones gave her the box has she discovered its contents. And um, Pete is uh all too you know he, he he's a pretty sharp guy uh with, with all the chess and whatnot and he's like yeah that's a puzzle box let me take a crack at it and uh and that's kind of that's kind of it although pete tells a pretty funny story about twins uh yeah well she she cuts him off because she's frustrated as fuck he's like it's a puzzle box and then all of a sudden we're oh Catherine, you opened the box and i came <laughs> this is duncan's terrible pinhead impression but I sound mildly amused, but at the same time disinterested in this scene. I have upgraded to this larger black box, which is more intricate and more difficult to open, because I got to the point where everyone was opening the box, and I was coming to tear their souls apart, and I'm very tired, and I will be replaced in the ninth movie by someone who is infinitely fatter than me, because I no longer want to make these movies. I am Pinhead. Leave me be infinitely fatter got me he is back. infinitely fatter that guy never passed up any fucking gear and stand on that set i will tear this plot apart <laughs> um plum pie you say mm. <laughs> <laughs> i will tear this belt apart <laughs> tear this belt apart <laughs> 
pass me my girdle. Um, Chatterbox, so... chew this for me. I'm <laughs> tired. He's that fucking lazy. He doesn't eat. Right. He doesn't even chew. He's shouting and chew for him. Baby oh. bud into my mouth. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. <laughs> it's like fucking a scene from Caligula. Next, <laughs> Next time, <laughs> drink some milk with it, or I will rip your interest. Oh, yes, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like basically, this is the like, oh, it's a box that can't be opened. I bet there's something really mysterious inside it, but Pete says that it could take years, years to open. And I'm, I'm looking at the screen going, I do not have the patience for this story. Oh, let's pick it up. Oh, let's pick it up. Well, in, but in fairness, like, you're kind of in and out. Like, the, again, rest of the season for the most part until we get to long stretches of oddity. Um, yeah. Th- like, things are moving at kind of a clip. Um, so we move from the Martells to the Double R where all kinds of shit's <laughs> popping off. Yeah, the return of a great character that we've not heard in a while over here. Hey, I'm back, <laughs> Um, and he is he is talking I'm to. I'm so show. happy right now. I'm so happy. Hey, you know Bobby Briggs underused for a few episodes over here, but now I'm back. I'm here to talk to Shelley and whatnot. Um, and so. Bobby is like, Shelly, you need to be in the mist between Peaks Patrick because we got to wrap up this show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's only three episodes left after this over here. We got to. Mm, you're so beautiful and whatnot. And uh, uh, and she's she's like, I don't want to do that. That's stupid. And uh, he's like, hey. I'm the one who makes the decisions over here, over here. <laughs> and, and like grabs her by the arm and stuff. And there's some real shades of Leo Stein where she's like, I don't know if this guy's the right guy for me. And uh, so it's kind of Bobby Briggs acting like an asshole. There's um, a great line. It says, when was the last time you saw a beautiful blonde go to the electric chair? True. I mean, uh, how did Eileen Wernos die? Um, once again, beautiful blonde. That's all I'm saying. Beautiful blonde. Was she brunette? Don't no. Eileen Warnos looked like a fucking scalped arse. Not, not at first. She was she was kind of cute. <laughs> she was kind of cute yeah. before like the drink really got her. Yeah. Like the she, pre-murder days. She wasn't days. cute when she was arrested. That's all I'm saying. No. When she was arrested, she looked like a melted welly. <laughs> she looked like a ripped-out fireplace. She... <laughs> She looked like a concrete asshole. Um, <laughs> she looked like tie-dye if tie-dye was done with feces. <laughs> she looks like what I call uh, Pretty Poo, which is the website I started of supermodels taking a New Year's Day shit. She has the sort of look about her that makes me think that I wouldn't even ride her into battle. Are we still talking about Eileen Wernos? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. oh I'd ride Shelly into battle and back again. 
yeah, imagine Anna is a lovely lady. Um, <laughs> God. This show, man. All right. Every now and again, I'm going to go. I'm as we stop recording, I'm going on that website. Pretty poo. It's good. It's, <laughs> I'll give you my login. It's a pay site. Um, so, over in the other corner of the double R is the mayor and Lana, the the sex pot. Um, in a why is this story back in this bowl? Why? Yeah, it's a real who could give a shit off at this table because I don't care about either of these characters. Never did. Never will. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it's like, oh, I'm gonna join. I'm gonna be in the uh Miss Twin Peaks contest too, and I need to win, and we're not getting married, aka you're not getting fucked anymore. Yeah. Um until I do, and you're a judge and you can guarantee it. Um so that's all we need to know about that, right? Yeah, the the scene yeah. I think you've yeah, who cares? Right. <laughs> so because we have a really, a genuinely great scene. Like, when that happened, I was like, uh-oh. And then Agent Cooper strolls in, and I'm like, hmm? And then it's him and Annie having the most Agent Cooper-Annie conversation there ever was. They're so adorable. They're adorbs, Bo. Adorbs. Um, I call them, I call them canny as a couple. <laughs> Uh, Which is better than Anop. Uh, yeah. A nooper. I'm going to get you, Chooper. I warned you about the Chooper. The uh, Chooper's coming, goddamn Chooper. It's a callback. It's a callback uh, to episode number 13 of season two of Duncan and Bo. Uh, come incorrect yeah, in that episode. Yeah, it's the come incorrect episode, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll get you, Chooper. Um, oh, Chooper. It's it's pretty good. I actually listened to that episode again not long ago. Uh it's a good one. It it it's pretty goddamn funny. Um yeah. anyway, so uh yeah, so uh Canny are are like making flirty <laughs> eyes at each other. And <laughs> this is where I you know, you get the line like I have tingles in my toes and in my stomach and you know, like they're both the same kind of wide-eyed innocence, but there's a darkness there too. Uh-huh. Um, they're both that character, and uh, so anyway, it's a great exchange, and we know good things are happening there. And then uh, Shelley rolls up and is given uh, thrown a little shade at Agent Cooper about him and yep. Annie, aka Canny. Hashtag Canny. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> which is Scottish for cannot? Canny? Oh, yeah, that's pretty I can't good. Do that. I can't do that. All right, I like it. I think it still fits. There you go. Um, there you go. Spoilers. <laughs> so, um, so it's she... almost as if in this part of the episode here, Bo, they had heard your feedback from two episodes ago where we were like that. So a poem got sent to them, and they all arrived at a place. What was, what happened? Well, nothing happened with that. Nothing paid off with that. That's another one of those Twin Peaks anomalies where they set up something and don't do anything with it. And then they were like that. And a bow. Look what we're going to do right now. Yeah. So Shelley, uh, throwing a little shade at Agent Cooper, starts reciting the poem that she got from one Wyndham Earl. Uh, 
and uh, Master of Disguise, you may recall. Um, I don't know if you've recognized him in the show because he's always shifting. Um, yeah, well, every every time that I watch the show now, I pause it almost frame by frame to see who's in the background just in case he's something that I don't realize is what I'm like. Maybe that could be one tomorrow. Maybe that could be one tomorrow. Right. I so, mean, he could be constantly. that fern or that booth. Yep. Um, so uh, Agent Cooper is like, the Shelly, the fuck? Where'd you get that poem? And uh, and she's like, yeah, it got sent to me. Uh, like, you know, three of us got uh, uh, this poem. And he's like, look, I need to take that with me. Also, this is serious. Also, Annie, are we going to go on our nature walk later? Or nature, whatever it is, nature observance. And she's like, fuck yeah, we are. And he's like, right on. I got to go do cool ass Agent Cooper super sleuth. And I'll catch you ladies later is how he puts it. Um, (laughs) he might as well because like he is the most badass in this scene because he has the really sweet scene with annie and then immediately flips into uh like super sleuth mode and is starting to put stuff together which i kind of like specifically in this episode we're starting to get the building blocks of the coop that we met like right at the beginning now where you know he's back in the uniform the brain's now working back at the speed it was working before and we've got a brand new mystery with lots of moving parts and the best person to handle said mystery is none other than the coop goddamn right duncan um so he heads back from uh the double r to the sheriff's station where he was picking up donuts naturally and uh is like uh sheriff truman here's the scoop we got uh windham earl has sent this poem to three women uh here in the town um he has sent him this poem in particular because it's a letter i sent to as we know his wife caroline mm-hmm. and that Wyndham Earl is playing a game to uh as as agent cooper puts it insinuate himself into the lives of people close to agent cooper um in strolls one deputy hawk Who's like, hey, Audrey Horn's out of town. Here's uh, uh, Donna's half of the note. Um, also, uh, I'm awesome. Can we all agree? <laughs> yeah, everyone, just can we, can we all take a second here? Just breathing um, in. All yeah. right. Show of hands, who thinks Hawk is awesome? And then before I he... said show of hands, you only need to put one hand, but I appreciate that everyone put up both hands. Right. That's all I'm saying. You guys, love you. Appreciate it. Um, but no, so Agent Hawk is, uh, is about to head out and uh, uh, Cooper stops him because he, after seeing the uh, two thirds of the poem assembled now, uh, is like, hey, I need you to go fetch me Leo Stein's case file. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to you soon. And uh, David e. Hawk is like, Leo Stein? And he's like, yeah, that's what we're calling him now. And uh, so he, so off Deputy Hawk fucks to uh to fetch the file um and so fucks uh agent cooper because he's got to ditch harry truman to go to the conference room where deputy andy is drawing the uh li- or, like super size accurate replica of the map and also one major briggs is waiting yeah because uh agent cooper is starting to tie some shit together duncan because yep. we gotta wrap he's- this up everybody 
Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, I just imagine during the filming, there's a guy from ABC in the background, and while people are talking, they keep turning around, and he's just pointing at his watch, like, repeatedly. Like, come on. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let, well, I was thinking maybe in the next scene, we could go back and have a scene where we discuss how good the pie is. No time for pie, all right, so we're cut, cut the pie scene, cut the pie scene, and, uh, well, maybe what we could do in this next scene is we could bring back, like, maybe a montage, travelling montage of James's journey from Seattle to Mexico. No time for that either. Right, so that's out. Um, well, what, what we could maybe do, we, you know, I don't know what you guys think, but maybe we could bring back little Nicky as a character in a small cameo. Little Nicky communicates spiritually with Agent Smith. We don't have time for that either. Right, right. Nope. So no, what, little what Nicky. we do, we'll, we'll just, just have the major back. Right, let's, right into the story. Let's get all this right. Let's just do that then. Vince so, yeah. in a so, uniform. Um, we don't have any other costumes. <laughs> we gave it all to I Dream a Genie. <laughs> I don't know why they would give it to a cancel show. Sorry. So, uh, yeah, so Major Briggs is in there. He is expertly correcting Andy's drawn saying, actually, I think you're finding that, that line that you're drawing right there goes that way and not that way. Um, and Kipper comes in and asks for help. Basically says that there there are several different investigations going on at the moment. There is the the you know the the disappearance of Leo. Right. There's the fact that Wyndham Earl, his former partner uh, and suspect in a few murders now, is you know is playing a game of cat and mouse with the coop. Um, and the discovery of the petroglyph at El Cave, and now using super sleuth technology. The coop has brought together that he believes that. Um, let me get this right. He says that um, he believes that they're all complementary verses of the same song, but he can't hear it yet, but he can feel it. And that's enough for me to proceed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's real Agent Cooper. Like, it, it's the spiritual thing, and and like again, we got to wrap it up. So thing like <laughs> the spiritual. Tap the phone. Tap, tap his watch. Tap. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's like, what? all right, all right, all right, all right, we're, we're getting there. God damn. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, like all the spirituality and stuff like heightens, which is maybe one of the reasons I like these episodes uh, so much. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Agent Cooper believes that all these uh, uh, investigations are somehow interrelated and that he wants uh, the Major's help in deciphering all this. And it, it like I love the major's response where he's like, "Well, and considering this, there are certain moral uh, questions that we have to answer." And uh, he uh, he says like, "Well, is human life going to be saved if I help you?" And uh, Agent Cooper is like, "Yes, it will." And he's like, "All right, I'm in." And immediately it's just like, "I'm going to go get to work and help you figure out the hell all this means." Yeah, so he's we specifically are... going to look at Windermere's time in the Air Force on Project Blue Book. Right. Which they... we've heard mentioned a couple of times now, and we know that Windermere was loaned from the FBI at the time to do this investigation, and Blue Book is the investigation specifically into um, UFOs and alien life forms. Yeah, it's... So things are getting uh, creepy. And... As we have come to our agreement with the Major, in walks Deputy Hawk. <laughs> Deputy Hawk is like, hey, thanks, everybody. You can all sit down. 
Um, <laughs> so here's the here's the file that she asked for, and then you know he steps away, and the audience applauds. Uh, yeah, though... like Hawks, like see when Hawks on screen, that's the only time the guy from ABC isn't tapping his watch. He's like, he's like, actually, he's doing the stretchy signal to stretch the scenes out. Right, Longer. right. He's like, Longer. I've got an idea for a show called Hawk and Coop. <laughs> it's like every time Hawk's not on on the screen, the ABC guy's flapping his arms like a hawk, like making hawk motions and stuff like that to try and insert him back in the scene. But that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works. Yeah, it. Uh, I just had a flashback of a guy I, I used to know who did one of the greatest uh, hawk impressions, not of our, our friend Deputy Hawk, but could flap his wings and bend his legs in such a way, or flap his arms, uh, in such a way as to suggest actual flight. It was one of the funniest oh, things I've ever seen someone do. Um, it's not important. It's not what we're talking about, Duncan. <laughs> um, Come on, ball. <laughs> God damn it. I don't need to hear about God. your old friends. God damn it. Don't, uh, don't make me break it the, the Brimley. Right. Uh, I'm right outside. This gets out of hand. You give me a jingle jangle. God damn it. Um, so. Uh, break it the Brimley. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like, sounds like the, the, the shittest, like, sounds like the shittest 1979 rap song. <laughs> Yo, breaking out the Brimley. Uh. I'm breaking out the Brimley. God damn it! God damn I'm it. easy with Br- the flow. The, the break- <laughs> I'm just gonna imagine my Brimley walking around like Flavor Flav with like his giant fucking clock around his neck. Instead of God yeah, shit. boy, I'd be like yeah. God damn it. <laughs> Instead of cold lamping with a flavor, it's cold lamping with the Brimley. What the Brimley? <laughs> I'm lamping. I'm lamping. God damn it! I'm stone cold lamping. <laughs> I got news, boy. I'm not tramping. God damn it! <laughs> will, will the will the real welfare Brimley please stand up? Please oh. stand up. Um... <laughs> all right, all right. God damn it! Don't have me rapping. Get in the show. Um, so. If we've if we've not just given if we've not just given our, our buddy uh, Darren like about seventeen million ideas for memes there. I don't know what else we have to do. Really. Yeah, like what it, what do you want? What can we? What do you want from me? Blood. <laughs> he says Audrey two style. Um, God, there's been a lot of references tonight. It's like a Dennis so Miller many. show. Uh, it's like my brain is like my brain is now finding difficulty connecting back to what it was that we were last saying about the show. So uh, the Deputy Hawk strolls in, and <laughs> that's what got us started the first time. Knock it off. So he's like, "Hey, here's the file on Leo Stein you asked me for," and Agent Cooper is like, "Thanks, Hawk, and thanks for picking up Leo Stein so fast." Um, <laughs> and uh he he's like all right look at his handwriting in this i don't know sign confession for being leo stein and uh and the the note the the poem yeah, look at this completely nondescript handwriting yeah it's not like it's like the and it, i'm fairly sure it's a woman's handwriting as well i don't think it's a guy's handwriting but they're like that look yeah i love his i will factor in you know mental damage um, and all the rest 
We'll take a look at this. Yeah, guess what? Wouldn't you believe it, Bo? Same handwriting. Yep, sure enough. Um, And so Agent Cooper, super sleuthing once more, is like, not only are these three investigations tied together, but, gentlemen, but, gentlemen, um, (laughs) Jacques Hughes, Leo Stein, of being in league with one window barrel. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I said good day, sir. I said good day. All right, let's let's jump to something we don't give a shit about, so we can get to more awesome stuff. Um, so back at the Great Northern, Audrey is in Seattle. Like she she took off last episode, um, and Ben Horn is trying to be a good guy, as as we have uh, noted previously, and. He is confronted by Dick Tremaine, also a character we don't give a shit about. Yeah, why is he still in this? Yeah, well, not much longer, Duncan. Um, (laughs) He's got, like, he is in this episode in particular a frustrating amount. Yeah, he's he's basically, he's having, uh, he's he's still got his bandage on his nose from where he was bitten by the pine weasel, um, which, in my version of this show, would have ripped his whole fucking face off and walk around like Dark Man. Um, but that's that's not what happened here. Um, and he's he's wanting to host a wine tasting benefit, uh, on behalf of the Stop Ghostwood, because this guy can't just like be ordinary; he has to be a fucking pretentious prick. Um, and he, he kind of at first, you know, mentions about medical expenses. Ben's like, because Ben's being a good guy now. Ben's like, listen, medical expenses they're taken care of everything's okay don't worry about it and then he kind of you know goes well you know some form of you know a, a workers compensation uh maybe and ben reluctantly agrees and you can see that the the urge to be nasty is starting to kick back and then he actually mouths the the great line sometimes the urge to do bad things is nearly overpowering yeah and that's the end of that scene well we are fucking out of this scene we do not care about this scene because we have more time to spend with our buddy Ted Remy, who is in some weird sort of paper mache. At first, I thought it was a letterbox. I don't know if you guys have that over there. Um, we don't have don't letters, Duncan. <laughs> Much less boxes for them. Um. And in the UK, in the UK, we have letterboxes, which are basically we have post boxes. Yeah, we have mailboxes. Is what we call. Yeah, them. but in the UK, they are. They are um, they are protected by the crown, so um, so because it's, it's royal mail they delivered them. So they are these kind of very ornate post boxes that are painted <laughs> red and black. <laughs> you bunch of prisses. Sorry. In fairness, in fairness, it, it predates your system. So, so I know it does, right. but at a certain um... point, you should be like, we don't need the fancy fucking box for the letters. How about we just build like an R two D two thing for them, like we did here in the states. <laughs> Where it's like, here's yeah, the but, flap, you're done. Yeah, but let, I, let, let, let me let me paint the scene here. See, when you go to post a letter in the UK, there is no way you're mixing that up as a bin. Which, well, I've been in America, and I've seen American post boxes, and I got confused whether I was supposed to put rubbish in there, or whether I was supposed to put a letter in there. 
because they look like a bend because there's a delivery time on the side of them and you don't our pickup time and you you think you all right Speculation right. for rubbish ball. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's no ambiguity ones. in the UK because they're large, ornate things painted fucking red. Um, and and the, and the states kind of look a bit like a bin. So anyway, right? I don't know why I was saying this. Like, why was it? Like, yeah. So it looks like the what the design of what he's doing, and this really only makes sense to me on the UK. It looks like a post box, and um, I was like, that. Why is Wyndham? But then I thought, what well, is Wyndham Merrill, and he is legitimately the craziest thing that's ever existed on TV. He's um he's like the he's like he's like the the kind of human version of the Tasmanian devil the uh, devil he's such a strange weird character and I'm fairly sure he's wearing either a bandana or a tea cozy on his head. It's um, and this, this clearly weird... a bandana, sir. Yeah, and, and, yeah, but he's also wearing. I'm like I'm liking the the Tasmanian devil thing. <laughs> but he's also wearing like an apron. <laughs> Fucking no, it's what. It's just his outfits are the most ridiculous thing ever. <laughs> um, and, and Ted Raby's been paper mashed into this weird structure that looks like a post box, and um, like they're they're kind of having this conversation backwards and forwards, and then and then we get we get this really it's kind of one of these really weird scenes where he's like that, um, you know, uh, you know, um, Leo Stein. Bitch me a arrow. Arr, arrow, which is pretty much, which is, which is not far. What is he's, he's holding a bottle of beer, isn't he? but he's not like he's like, no, go, go and get me an arrow. Now go and get me an arrow, and he doesn't do that, so he zaps the fuck out of him. And by this point, I am actually legitimately starting to feel sorry for Leo. Leo Stein feel, is a pitiable soul. Uh, yeah, through, next through episode is worse though. Next episode, there's a yeah. there's a bit in the next episode where I'm like that. I actually legitimately feel sorry for you. I did not know our journey would bring us here. Um, <laughs> but like, and but it, Wyndham Earl is always a half step from being like a crazy Texan shooting at his feet to make him dance. <laughs> like, Yo, yeah! oh, come on, dance, Leo Stein. <laughs> <laughs> Leo so, Stein uh, have two left feet. <laughs> Nancy, Le- Leo Stein do not know waltz. <laughs> Leo one, Stein two, three, have junk and trunk. <laughs> Leo Stein's milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Um, so Arr, damn right. <laughs> What's what is Leo Stein going to do with all this junk? All this junk in the back of my trunk. Um, <laughs> you like Leo Stein's humps? His humps. His lovely Leo Stein bumps. <laughs> but so so um, <laughs> we're going. Oh, oh fucking hell! We're losing it, boy. Um, <laughs> God damn it! Um, so. Um, <laughs> So he brings the arrow across to to, to win the Merle, who like poor Ted Raimi does not have a fucking clue what's happening in this this scene at all. The arrow gets given to him, um, and we get this uh, we get this great line, which is "Think of all the hapless sinners thinking of their uh, of where their soul's destination lies, and for what to gain the answer to a simple question: Where will my spirit wake? What life am I given after this life?" The grave question is plagued man, sorry conscience for eons, and now you, you lucky boy, you have the answer. And he fucking shoots him with the arrow, um, and we get a rather unconvincing flash cut straight to Ted Raimi's face where there's already blood spewing out his mouth and he's dead. 
that's not how arrows work, but this is Twin Peaks, and that's how arrows work. So, um, like, I'd like to point out, like, as silly as we're describing this scene, Wyndham Earl is kind of great from here on out. Like, any scene he's he's in, it's just like, shit is getting weird. Things are getting weird around here. Um, he's he's the he's the perfect mix of crazy malevolent and genius he's the joker like to the point like there are scenes that fade out on him laughing he is so much the joker yeah and and you need that you need that to go again because coop is we've already like coop is ultimate detective and to like batman yeah but that's exactly what it is to bring Batman down, you need someone who is equal parts genius, but just the genius is crazy genius, is you know designed to to be unpredictable, and that is what his character is. It's it's like he's always one step ahead of Coop because they've worked together, so they know each other. He's almost trained Coop to an extent; it's like his mentor. So it's like that one step in front of him, but at the same time. There's that crazy genius where if if he just stopped playing fucking games, he'd be in the Black Lodge by now. But he can't help himself. He has to he has to play these games. I, he has to do these little tricks and jokes against Cooper. He has to ruin his life because that's where the fun lies. And it's not just about getting to the Black Lodge. It's the journey. Well, but it's everything he can do to destroy Coop along the way. That's the exciting part for for that character. Ultimately, you're right. But I think that at this point, Wyndham Earl actually thinks that his behavior is the path to the the Black Lodge. Because as he describes the story of the White Lodge and the Black Lodge earlier, the Black Lodge is a place filled with people who do evil for the sake of doing evil. It It is chaos for chaos's sake. And that is what he is emulating. As Midian. Yeah. It's from, you know, from Nightbreed. It's it's exactly like when that guy in the, the hospital, you know, essentially you know confesses all these things then cuts his face to get into midian um that's exactly what it is he's he's going through the motions of everything you would want to do in order to be accepted or allowed access to the black lodge um yeah and he's a great he's a great character i mean like once again i, I know there are criticisms of season two season two is worth watching for the reveal of laura palmer's carol killer and then from that point onwards win the morrow He's the, he's the reason you t- he's the reason you don't get a lot of him until these these later episodes. But it's worth following that journey to get to him because he is he's a pure joy on screen. He's everything you want from a TV villain. Yeah, he's like, hey hey everybody, it's Wyndham Earl here. Get back on board the Twin Peaks train, choo choo. <laughs> Did you just give up? What was that? That's the guy from Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, not quite. <laughs> totally is. Yeah, the spin-off show. What was his name? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember that character's name. Hey y'all. That's totally his voice. Yeah. Hey y'all. Everybody hop on board. <laughs> choo-choo. Choo-choo. Um anyway. uh, So we leave that scene and we, we jump back to the Wait, wait, Duncan. Rest. Oh, whoa, what's up? Surprise question from the crowd. Oh god. <laughs> All right, so Joseph Petruziello, uh, as we said before, the guy who suggested this show, he asks us, how bad do you wish you were a fly on the wall for the standards and practices screening at the network way back when? And I asked this question because of the Ted Raimi arrow 
which is real goofy here. But uh-huh. the way that the scene feels, that arrow should have gone in his head. And I, I would not be stunned if that was the case in the original script. And somebody was like, no, 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 fuck that. Yeah. Um, like, there is both in, you know, certainly the first couple of episodes and when we get into the last episode in particular, there's some shit that's like, this isn't technically wrong. I just don't think people should see this. Yeah, like, Maddie's death on yes. stream is, like, I I still say for the time, and I still think to this day, is incredibly, you know, is incredibly distressing to watch. And that was on, that was on TV, uncensored. So, yes, I think, I think there's, I think, to me, it's the weird. It's that weird thing of we're gonna we're gonna give we're gonna give a TV show to the guy that did Blue Velvet, you know, baby wants to fuck you. That guy, that guy. We're gonna give it to him, and then we have to try and make him behave within certain paradigms. I think Twin Peaks is at his best when it was pushing against them, and really how much it got away with for the time period. Um, I get a feeling that at this point there was probably not a lot of leeway given to the show at this stage in the pursuit of let's get it wrapped up so I, w- I would imagine yes that the original cut to that scene probably did have Ted Raimi getting shot in the head um, and I imagine that's just a case of well that's not happening well that's not happening um, you know like it's, it's such a weird thing to think of now because you can switch on the TV and see things that are infinitely worse than that you know and today's TV would probably see a slow motion action shot of that arrow actually going in someone's head, uh, probably through a small child first and an animal. Um, but uh, you know, back then it must have been it, it broke so many. This show broke so many rules. It like really just steamrolled over so many rules and so many, so many uh, like walls that were built up for TV and how TV should behave. Um, that it kind of feels a bit weird that they didn't just go for the jugular and the scene back and totally see why they didn't. Yeah. Uh, to answer the question more directly, I wish very badly that I were a fly on the wall for the standard of practice screening at the network way back when. Um, yeah. And ditto. Uh, yeah, no, I obviously. And like I said, we'll get into it when we talk about the last uh, episode of uh, season two, the finale of season two. Um that I think that episode gets away with some shit that shouldn't have ever been put on film. Mm-hmm. That episode is a fucking nightmare. Anyway, yeah, and like it's not in a bad way. Closest, it's just no. It's the closest thing. It's the closest thing. You. It's a couple of scenes in Twin Peaks that I've already said that I would equate to how, like, I perceive a nightmare to be. You know, it's like the almost the. the kind of closest approximation to what a proper nightmare feels like the the very last episode has the that is a nightmare that is that is the if anyone was to describe a nightmare that is a nightmare without like necessarily oh well i'm getting chased by someone or whatever if someone was to talk about the building blocks that you know the 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 blueprint of a nightmare some of the shots in the red room (laughs) the black lodge are like i did just thinking i'm just now i'm getting goosebumps as yeah, well, shut up about that, Duncan, because we're on to another scene. Um, yeah, Ben. Well, right, 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 we got to save that because we are going. We are going to lose our shit 
over the last episode. I think we can agree on that. Well, yeah, the last episode, yeah, you do not you do not want to, not that you'll miss it because we're going to publicize it. Check it out, show. everybody. <laughs> like if you got this far, you might as well listen on. Um, <laughs> right. We've just worn them down now where it's like, I mean, you've made it this far. Yeah. Why? 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 Why stop now? I guess. <laughs> but like, well, trust me, and there's going to be a lot of me and Bo just going. It's so fucking good. Yeah, um, it's going to be a little just silly. so <laughs> much fucking praise lavished over that. Um, like so much so that people about that. Did they watch the same thing that I watched? Because I don't think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Poor, poor uh, girlfriend. I, I, like. I understand why somebody would be real pissed at the end of of that. And it, uh, shut up, me, me. Shut up this time, Duncan. Not you. I'm God talking. God damn it! How about you talk about the episode you're supposed to do? God damn it! <laughs> God um, damn it! So. Uh, <laughs> So, so Ben for... arrives at the, the, the roadhouse. Ben is trying to be the nice guy here, right? He's trying to be the nice guy because in the ghost, uh, in the sorry, in the roadhouse, we have Pete Martell, we have the mayor, and Doc Hayward, who are on the panel for the the, the pageant. They're going to pick um, ultimately the Miss Twin Peaks pageant winner or whatever. I don't know how they work these. Things. I mean, holy who cares? Amer- I mean, holy fucking American! We don't understand over here. Um, it's in in fairness i like the fact that ben horn is making the point like how about this isn't just a tna thing and yeah, we actually former, former brothel owner ben horn Look, is, is making a stand for women hey uh, po body's nerfed you know what i'm saying <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah so he gives them this big spiel about them that was brilliant by the way um, <laughs> I, I mean I, I kind of cracked myself up. so so well done so so well done um, that's my favourite moment thus far of recording and the whole thing <laughs> um, like, no legitimately that is my favourite thing we've done because it's perfectly timed um, so he's doing his stuff and like you say we can't give a fucking tiny rat's ass about this but there's going to be an environmental theme to the pageant um, and and kind of in so, an association with the stop Ghostwood thing, and Pete's skeptical of it because you know he's obviously married to CNH Tuesday. And, yeah, li- literally that is me watching this scene. Uh, so so Bobby and Shelley are there with Donna hanging out, um, and then because this episode needs a lot about this, um, Mike comes in with his new bow, which is and that's B E A U, hey. not B O. <laughs> Right? What? He's, he, that's... <laughs> Bo comes in with an eye patch on. Um, right? <laughs> so, uh, Mike, Mike comes in with a little a little character you may have heard of her called Nadine. Hey, everyone! <laughs> and testicles around the world raise up into the fetal position. <laughs> Guess who's gonna be Miss Twin Peaks? Oh, could you imagine? That's how this show should have ended. That should have been the ending. The last episode. That should have been the last shot. Oh, yeah. Just and her it's... getting a crown on and her it, head. Her, her talent is just swinging through a series of suspended hoops. You know? Like, the last scene... The last scene of this show, the last scene of this show, she'd been her getting the crown put in her head, 
and for some reason Christopher Walken's in the scene and he touches her and it flashes forward to Nadine in the White House, like pressing the button and watching the bombs fly. Um, and she's like, ah! <laughs> and that's how she'd have finished. Basically. Right. <laughs> Sarah, you'll never understand this. <laughs> I have to kill a woman with a patch. <laughs> Just know I loved you. P.S. What's the time? I don't have a watch. Because it's your father's watch. Duncan, you know what I want. Give me what I want. Really? Do we have a right? Yeah, yeah, we do. The ice is gonna break! (sighs) Alright. Dude, I'm not saying you do a great walk-in. You do a an amazing the ice is gonna break yeah the rest of it doesn't work as soon as i have to do other words it doesn't work it's like it's we worked it out it's like your juicy yes packard a hundred percent it has like a three word limit and anything beyond those three words that it becomes Garbage. offensive to many cultures yeah, it's, um, it's, it's it's a savant level thing of like this specific autistic bit is yep. is what we can do but no yeah, that's that's just how the show is the show occupies that weird not twin peaks that the, the show occupies that weird ground in that we can handle certain impressions within a certain limit but very much like the show when we try and juggle too much and um, it becomes something quite special and it's especially like, entertaining i've pointed out to you and our audience the thing that uh like what makes a, a a a true success is reaching beyond your grasp. It is also what creates a fiasco. <laughs> it is up to the listener to decide what this is. <laughs> um, and yet, and judge us accordingly. <laughs> um, right. And yet we persist. Um, yeah. So so Mike rolls in with Nadine. And uh, the look on Bobby's face is a fucking peach. Um, hey, what are you doing with the girl with the eye patch over here? Over here. Um, uh, he walks up to him and basically says, this is very scary, Mike. Uh, and he says, when, when, when did all of a sudden you get an interest in the life of fossils? Well, dude, Eric, here's the thing that kills me is that Mike is taking the high road on all this where he's uh-huh. just like, Look, man, you just wouldn't understand. I can't, I can't convince you of what we have. You, you child. And he's like, "Hey, what are you talking about over here?" And 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 Mike is the first one to to be like, "Look, imagine there is a coma hulk." Who has the libido of a high schooler and the sexual maturity of a woman in her mid thirties? Which, by the way, Duncan, thumbs up. Um, <laughs> ladies um, <laughs> of a certain age, um, <laughs> but but basically, he's saying like. Look, she's got this crazy gorilla strength and knows what to do with it around the downstairs area. 
and Bobby is like, hey, I don't even know what you're talking about over here. And <laughs> so Mike leans to him and is like, it's totally about the face fucking. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Bobby's like, whoa! And then goes to play pinball for a second <laughs> for no reason. Yeah, well, walks across like tries to put the money in the jukebox it doesn't work kicks it and then the song comes on because he's in bonds <laughs> um, I mean exactto mundo Mr. C um, it's a like it's a total sitcom moment that is total yeah once again but that's what that's what the show is emulating um, so let's let's continue a storyline which should be more interesting than it actually is but um, <laughs> That's like, it really should be, like, what we should be doing is, we should be very much like Brad Pitt at the end of Seven. We should be saying, what's in the box? Um, but we're not. Um, and this time we have, uh, see you next Tuesday, sitting down with Sheriff Truman. Um, he is trying to, he's trying to get some sort of, and I kind of like, there is one saving grace about this scene. So, um, so he's trying to get answers to why Josie was slipping around and had this kind of you know, duplicitous life and all the rest. Um, and I love, I love what uh, Catherine Martell does in the scene where she's like that. She's clearly, clearly like she's been trying for a while to open this box. She can't do it. She needs to con someone else to do it. And she's like, well, maybe I don't know. Thomas left me this box, but it's a, you know, it's a box that. It's like a puzzle box that can't be opened. But maybe there's something in here about Josie. <laughs> and at that point, like Truman's like, well, give me the box. Uh, let me see if I can get through this. So um, so she totally plays him, because that's what she does with everyone. Um, <laughs> and meanwhile, he... Pinhead is like, yes, yes. <laughs> Bring in the, uh, the aid of the sheriff. Release <laughs> me onto your realm. <laughs> also... Do you have any pastries? <laughs> I would tear a soul apart for some cheese, Danish. Um, oh, oh, little stingy on the butter. <laughs> Do you have a croissant, which? Um, <laughs> Is this ham cured? I will tear this ham apart. Ah. <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, yep. But they don't get it open, so none of that happens is the problem. Um, <laughs> no, no, no ketchup. It's a waste of good seasoning. Um, so, <laughs> one day he's finicky. <laughs> yeah, he's like a fussy eater. Um, <laughs> Fat Pinhead the Fussy Eater coming soon to a, a network near you. <laughs> <laughs> You call this a reduction? <laughs> it's barely gravy. <laughs> Is the Chateau Lafitte at room temperature? <laughs> <laughs> I will tear your Yelp apart. <laughs> <laughs> One star trip advisor. Um, <laughs> would not go again. All right. <laughs> I have eternity to taste your buffet. <laughs> uh, 
Your tears are like wine. Why? Unlike the disappointing flambe. <laughs> oh, God. No one is safe on this show. No one is safe. Poor Doug Bradley. Poor Doug That's Bradley. Back in the box. No one is safe, says yeah, Duncan so, of the guy on the show. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they're trying to open the box. Nothing's really working, and then all of a sudden, you know, um, there's a there's a bit of a tussle, um, and the, the box drops and it pings open, and and it kind of opens like a drawer, and inside is wait for it another box, and it's another puzzle box that looks to have like lunar symbols on it, um, and yeah, that's the end of that scene. <laughs> Soon I will be free. I can almost taste. The croquet omelette. <laughs> Your hollandaise is uninspired. <laughs> Your poached eggs are like rubber. <laughs> all right, all right. Next scene. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So we're on a boat on the lake, and it's a romantic moment. Uh, what we call them again? Canny. Canny are on the boat. Hashtag uh, Canny. Hashtag Canny um, are, are on the boat. I I feel like oh, I feel like this scene should have more prominence, but I think we're went so silly on this episode thus far that I, I find it difficult to, to actually take it as a legit bit proper scene. I just want to do more pinhead impressions. <laughs> I know. Um, I it it. We're just going to have an episode that's just Pinhead v. Pinhead going through the menu of a Denny's. Like ma- man versus Pinhead. Or yeah. Pinhead versus food. Pinhead versus food. That's Pinhead versus food. It's just, <laughs> moons over my hammy. I dub thee delicious. <laughs> I'm here in Rhode Island to sample the, the, the challenge of the all-you-can-eat seafood buffet at Captain Jack's Bucket of Shrimp. (laughs) I have an eternity to eat your shrimp. If I can complete this challenge in the allocated time, my picture will appear on the board, and I will get a t-shirt and eat for free. And then I will tell yourselves apart. He has to finish every sentence like that. Every right. sentence like that. I'm yeah. like, I, like that's the, oh my god, that's that's the game. That's the game. You open the box, Pinhead arrives, you set him a food challenge. If you defeat him, uh, you are safe. Um, if he defeats you, not only does he get a free meal, a t-shirt, his face in his wall, but he takes you back to hell. I that's have such sights <laughs> and delicious spots to show you. I, that's, that's, now that's, I want to see like an Anthony Birdway like style show of like Pinhead taking you around the world. Oh. <laughs> Here we are in China, a place I have harvested soul after soul and has amazing spices unlike anywhere else. <laughs> Our tour guide is the man that has the box at the beginning of the first movie. What is your pleasure? <laughs> yes, yes. My pleasure is baby back ribs 
with Chinese seasoning and five-star spice. Do you have those little pork things on a stick? <laughs> those are delicious and dooming. Let me try your dim son. Um, All right, God damn it! That's enough pinhead. All right, um, breaking out, breaking out the Brimley. Uh, yeah, so they're on the, they're on the, they're on the lake. It's all very romantic. They kiss. Um, he kind of pushes the the whole, you know, what's kind of happening with the old, uh, the old darkness and all the rest. She's not really wanting to discuss that. Wait one second. Someone's watching them. They're not alone. Wonder who could be watching them through a pair of binoculars. Hey y'all, the they're greatest... lip wrestling over there. <laughs> Disguised as that's right, a fisherman in the most this is a over the counter fisherman's outfit. Um it is none other than Wyndham Earl who he... is watching them and he is now well, you know what he's like. He's now thinking to himself, I know how to get Coop. He, he is dressed like the sign of a Bass Pro Shop. It's ridiculous, but I kind of love it because that's that's Wyndham Earl. Everything he does is a caricature of a character. Um, and yeah, so he's already, you can see that the wheels are starting to turn. Um, he's, he's, his target now is Annie uh, just to fuck with Coop. Because, you know, Coop fucked his women, he's going to fuck up Coop's women. Um, and then I get a wee bit emotional, a wee bit teary-eyed here. Uh, the reason behind that is we're about to lose another character, a uh, long-standing great character from the show, one that we we love. I know you love, and I love him as well, a, a certain uh, certain Gordon Cole, who I believe right. makes his last appearance. Are so. we just mutually agreeing not to discuss the, the Dick Tremaine thing? Is that what's happening yeah, here? I, I, I don't The whole wine tasting scene is just pish. All right. Let's just, for the sake of those, let's pretend for a second uh, that there are listeners who are like, I'm not watching this stupid Twin Peaks show. I'm listening to these two idiots talk about it. So just to push the story along, uh, Dick Tremaine is hosting a wine tasting at the Great Northern. Everybody's there. The only thing that matters is Lana, the sexy, sexy mayor's wife or would be wife, uh, is giving him the business a little bit. Is is like making flirty eyes at him and stuff. And Lucy is pissed about it. And something we have failed to mention: Lucy is still deciding who the father is going to be. Like regardless yeah. of the biology involved, she will name someone to say you're going to be the father to my child. Um, yes. and done yes as literally there's a, a bit of comical mm -mm. Not no comical. not funny no andy like, goes to drink the drink and he, he shouts something tells him not to he swallows a drink when he's supposed to taste it but he's got that stupid bandage on his nose so every time he puts his nose in to smell the, the alcohol comes out his bandage gets more covered in wine it is it is not a good scene it is not interesting Let's talk about Gordon Cole, a character who I genuinely have a great deal of affection for. When we first meet him uh, in this scene, he's talking at a normal uh, volume because he's talking to Shelley. And we've realized that for some reason, Shelley, when speaking to um, Cole, can speak 
quietly and Cole can hear her without the need of his hearing aids. And um, we, we walk in on a, a story of um, <laughs> where he's basically telling him about how he ultimately kills someone. I ventilated him. So they says the, the, well, the funeral wasn't all that great, uh, which I kind of kind of love. Um, and they're chatting, and and walks the coop, and walks Annie, uh, just in time because Cole is leaving us and leaving the show uh, until Fire Walk with me. So we're we're having to having to see goodbye. But uh, all right, I gotta I gotta tell you, one of my favorite things in the history of Twin Peaks happens in this scene. You tell me it then, Bo. It's it is the scene uh well, this scene, of course, but it is the moment where Agent Cole is is first of all, the fact that he's yelling at them and whispering to Shelley, but just talking to her in a normal voice is amazing. Yeah. And then uh, he has this moment where he's like, Shelly, I'm going to do something. And if I don't do it right now, I'll never have the nerve. And uh, so he kisses her, uh, a woman who in theory is at least half her age or his (laughs) age. Yeah. But the point is that as he's uh, smooching Shelly and God bless him for it, um, in walks Bobby Briggs, who's like, hey as he sees them. <laughs> and he's like, hey, what's going on over here, over here? <laughs> and an Agent Cooper, or not Cooper, Agent Cole has one of the greatest lines in the history of Twin Peaks, which is... Uh, you are witnessing a full three-quarters view of two adults kissing. And then Bobby is like, hey, knock it off over here. And then Agent Cole says, take a good look, Sonny. It's about to happen again. (laughs) And then kisses her again. And like, it is the moment where Agent Cole becomes a man. Like. (laughs) Or Agent Cole realizes that he can abuse his power like fuck. Maybe so. I don't care. Like this poor guy who's got a hearing problem finally finds a woman that like i don't know if he entertains any illusions of them like being together but it's just like here is a woman that i can hear and i can speak to in a normal way who i find beautiful and she finds me interesting and before i walk out of this town nay this show duncan i'm gonna lay one on her and you know what it was so good i'm gonna go back for seconds and that's it. I like. I don't. I. I think that's kind of his move on the show, and I'm all for it, Duncan. Uh, I'm, random I'm kissing. Right I mean. I'm right there with you. And that's an incredible scene. That's an incredible scene. However, in a kind of weird, kind of parallel scene of of awesome lines, but this time done less with the charm. Um, of a of a Gordon Cole kind of becoming a man, and more with the boyish good looks, but incredibly creepy tones. Uh, we we travel to the Great Northern, where um, we have Coop, 
sitting down, going to have a little drink in front of the fire. It's been a hard day. The coop's done a lot of stuff. He's been sleuthing out in the out in the lake. He's been being the coop. It's a hard job. Every now yeah. and again, at the end of that shift, you need to have yourself a little drink in front of the fire. And he's sitting down and a tall glass of cold milk. As well. Not oh, just, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it's a because yeah, they do that in Twin Peaks. Uh, like we've seen that before. It's a jug of, of milk that um, Pete Martell had. So, he's sitting down, a wholesome drink. Uh, it's good for the bones. Um, he's sitting down having a drink, and uh, sitting beside him is none other than John Justice Wheeler. Hey, everyone. Hey, Agent Cooper. <laughs> I didn't think we and, were gonna get a chance to meet. And we are. We're looking at these two characters, going, "Why was there not more scenes with these two? This is like brilliant." And um, basically, they share a bit of a conversation, and it's all about love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, each of them not knowing that they have Audrey in common in a way, even yeah. though you know, Agent Cooper and uh, Audrey never got down. Um, yeah. You know, she was she was certainly the Schmitten kitten. Um, uh, for a while when it came to agent cooper uh her her love has shifted uh obviously and i i like to think that if agent cooper knew he would be all for it yeah Uh, of of course of course because that's what he ultimately wants to see audrey happy and he's now happy he's got annie um and whilst they are chatting away um Wheeler gets a uh, like an urgent telegram, and basically, uh, he's a, yeah, he's in a bit of a panic, um, and then makes his way to to the concierge desk and says that he needs to check out right away, and we will find out why um, in the next episode. Um, and yeah, so we leave them. Um, Wait, we'll get oh. not just yet. <laughs> I know. I, I there is a line that he has that I just want to say in that voice and have it recorded. Yeah. Love makes you feel more of everything, especially pain. All right, I'm good. It's, it's, his whole way of talking is like. <laughs> It's like, it's it's like it's like a fucking it's like a it's like an old school like evil heel WWE character reading out a fucking Valentine's card. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like it's like it's like it's like the it's like it's like the Ultimate Warrior reading out a fucking Hallmark fucking Valentine's card. Uh, it's so, so I, I just so, hope so they creepy. put that on my Jake the Snake, jacket. that's what it is it's Jake the Snake Roberts reading at a Valentine's card that is John Justice Wheeler I've, I've worked it out right mm, here I love snakes <laughs> you wanna pet my snake it's too on the nose <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like the only way to criticize your oppression was to do it within the oppression it was very good, very good. I enjoyed it. So let's let's jump to an awkward dinner, um, because we've not had one of them in Twin Peaks in a while. Um, so we're at the <laughs> yeah, uh, we're in a real battle. Will you pass the peas? See. <laughs> so Donna's having Donna's having dinner with her parents, um, and 
and her mom's been having all these surreptitious meetings with Ben Horn, which has uh, Donna's antennae up. Yeah, and if you don't know where this scene is going, then I can't help you. This is telegraphed so fucking much. It's kind of more telegraphed in the next episode, and they still don't fucking answer it. Um, it's so frustrating. But yeah, so basically there's a conversation going backwards and forth. I'm going to skip through this one pretty quick. Well, but Back and forward. There's oh. a lot of pee talk, uh, and I don't mean the yeah. fun kind where you pay yeah. an extra 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot past the peas, but uh, yeah. you know well, why are you seeing Ben Horn? What's going on there? But you were you were he was down at the house, then you were up at his, and then all the rest. And then ultimately, what comes out of this is that she too has put her name forward for the Miss Twin Peaks pageant. Her mum says, "I didn't realise you'd be into something like that." Are they interested? And she says, "Yeah, want to win it so I can get the scholarship money to study overseas." And both the parents give each other a intense little look it's a real past uh, the peas moment yeah it's a past the peas <laughs> moment uh and then and then we jump um <laughs> from that scene because we're we're ramping up the speed of this quick as possible to, to get out of this episode to the next one um and we are at some sort of weird outdoor gazebo thing uh, up at the park and there is a large box that has a handle on the front that says pull me it keeps there with the cops and um, he is convinced, you know, this is something from Wyndham Merrill because who else would do something like this? this is total of him. He says that he's he's now playing off the game board, um, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, and they want to they want to open it. They're barely sure it's not a bomb because uh, they've, they've done a little, a little detecting on it. And uh, essentially, what they do is Coop sets up this integral kind of pulley thing that he's going to shoot this contraption that's going to pull the all this stuff to open the box it, and the box and then he he moves back to the truck which you could just tie the handle of the box to you could you but this is Cooper we're talking about here i'm surprised that what he didn't do was set up a series of fucking bottles shout out names and throw stones at determine who was going to open it right you know what i mean i'm surprised yeah. the conversation before it didn't start was you know harry what do you know about tibet um, right, like, you know the stage. the monks like, of Hatuea. Uh, like, so like, like, okay, so Kyle McLaughlin in this scene before they start it is standing at the side talking to the director. He's like, that, right, so my character wouldn't just pull that handle. What he would do, the guy from ABC's at the background going, he's like, all oh, right, right, right. Uh, so we'll just pull the handle. We'll just pull the handle. Right, pull the handle. Um, so they they literally pull the handle, and it's not a post box. Like I thought, it's a giant paper mache pawn, and Ted Raimi's head is kind of sticking out it with a little, little sign around it that says, "Next time it'll be someone you know." Yeah. And guess what? Guess what? What? It's the end of that episode. Yay! Yep. Um, so, um, I've got some. I've like because because I'm, I'm using a, a site that I really like to to help me make sure I don't forget things. And uh, there is some episode trivia. Let's do a little bit of episode trivia. We do oh, love wow. this. So it says, uh, as uh, previously mentioned, the poor metalhead guy that Wyndham Earl kills in the giant paper mache chess is the beloved actor Ted Raimi, brother of Evil Dead and Spider-Man trilogy director Sam Raimi. Um, so just in case we didn't know, but we had touched on that. The episode was directed by Jonathan Sanger who is most notably known as a producer. In the 70s, he acquired the rights to the story of John Merrick. This will be the link to David Lynch um, for The Elephant Man. 
uh, brought the property to Mel Brooks, and off the back of that, the 1980 film The Elephant Man was his first producing credit. Um, that movie was given to David Lynch, obviously, who was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, the next thing and final thing it says, realising the clock was ticking on the lifespan of the series, David Lynch clearly wrote a scene to have his character somehow get to kiss the beautiful mansion Amick, who played Shelley. Um, it's shameless, but you really can't blame him. And mm-hmm. No, I cannot blame you. Uh, yeah, this this episode has a lot more good in it than bad. Um, it's it's certainly riding the ship. It feels like we're we're steering into the slide a little bit, Duncan. Starting to get control again. Yeah, I think at this stage just now, we we are now the show very much knows that we have a focus. And that focus is the the end game for Coop. Um, so as a result of that, we're getting far more Windermere. We're getting far more of the investigation. We're getting all these pieces coming together. This is what we're going to do. Um, and yeah, we have some goofy stuff still happening in the background, but a whole hell of a lot less of it than you would expect. Um, it's sad to say that, you know, um, this was the last episode with David Lynch in it. Hi, everyone. Wrote- <laughs> but he will be back uh, in the directing chair real fucking soon. Oh, um, yeah. He had to take oh, a couple yeah. of weeks off and, and take some mescaline and do some transcendental <laughs> meditation <laughs> and be like, all right, I got it. You went up into went up into the mountains, sat in one of those sweat huts, um, like fully clothed, dressed like... Yeah, uh, suit and tie. Yeah. I want to be professional. Thing. Yeah, took the full thing in, uh, found his, his spirit animal, turns out his spirit animal was actually an owl, and they are not what they seem, uh, which made him question what the owl actually was. And it turns out that his spirit animal is actually Bob, which explains the last episode. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, it's kind of, like you say, it's right in the ship. It's realising that the, the clock is very much... The, the dangling swords of Damocles are precariously perched above the head of this show, ready to drop at any time. That's some Greek mythology, y'all. Um, and the show is very much... It's on its last legs. They need to... <laughs> they need to wrap it up in a confident and convincing way, which brings together the journey, um, which that memo never reached David Lynch. Um, and yeah, so the, I, 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 I still... There's, a couple of storylines in here that I just can't be fucked with at all. Um, and I get the feeling that the show doesn't really want to do much about them. Uh, that's why we're only getting little snippets. But at the same time, it's like that. These things need to kind of carry on in the background anyway, because there's only one that really has a full-on effect where we're going, and that's the pageant. The rest is all just window dressing. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's an enjoyable one. Like I said before, the, really from from about the last episode onwards, there is no bad episode for me. They actually ramp up in quality towards the very end. So whilst this is the overall almost at the end of the journey, I kind of feel a bit sad because this is the journey that I wish I'd been on for the majority of season two. And I just didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I agree with everything you said. I think this is the beginning of uh, the bittersweet end of the show in that it, I, yeah, I, I I like everywhere this thing goes. It does discard some shit in a way that I find kind of adorable. Um, and yeah, so Duncan, 
Yes. Episode two of tonight's show. Dark last episode of season two. It's called The Path to the Black Lodge. It is directed by Stephen Gyllenhaal. Oh, any relation to Jake and Maggie? A better show would know. Uh, he is the father <laughs> of uh, Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it is written by Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls. Uh, Mark Frost back on the bench for this one, but that's okay. He's yep, he. He's- he he hopped on board the Titanic and was like, <laughs> I'm going to give this a quick yank to the left here. I think they call he, that the starboard. I, I, lo- I love the idea. Of, he, he just walked into that room. And he's like, so what are you guys working on? Right. Are we still doing that with Nadine? Why, why is Billy Zane in the show? Well, what's going on? Did we, has anyone done anything with the White Lodge yet? What do you mean you've you've only mentioned it? Why why did we cut the major off from a bit? Because no one understands it, right? Give me a bit of paper. Right, let me just spell this out for you here. This is the White Lodge. This is the Black Lodge. This is what they both mean. This is what this guy's looking for. You need to set up this. You do this to here, and that's it there, right? I'll see you all in a couple of episodes. <laughs> right. Peace. Break. Um, <laughs> go team. <laughs> just walks back out. And, right the door. And yeah, and everybody's like, well, all right, all right. That, that seems okay. <laughs> And uh, so we open uh, this this particular episode where we ended the last with the most undignified death mask <laughs> in the history of them. Uh, as and, and, and fairness, Ted Raimi's been a worse. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But uh, the local constabulary, Duncan, is attempting to uh, get this uh, chess piece out of there with uh, uh, Ted Ramey inside. Um, and uh, Agent Cooper is uh, interviewing a, a friend of, uh, of Ted Ramey, whose character will remain nameless. Um, and No, he has a name. We find out what his name is. Uh, what is it? Garrett? Who cares? Um, <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> his name is Garrett. <laughs> But but I mean, he just tells the story of what happened, which was Rusty. Like, he's he's guys. He's called Rusty. Rusty something. nails. <laughs> Rusty nails. Because which I think he was the guitarist for band. Guitar Hero. <laughs> Rusty, I was. <laughs> um. So anyway. Uh. But yeah. So the the friend is like, yeah, we broke down. This guy came out of the woods and was like, hey, do you guys want some beers? And uh, we were like, well, we need to fix the car. But uh, Rusty, a.k.a. Garrett, um, like went off with with this dude uh, into the woods and uh, has not come back again. And uh, as he's speaking, he begins tearing up. And, of course, Deputy Andy, who is uh, a notoriously soft touch, um, as you'll remember, Duncan, uh, way back in episode one, um, all right. So Pete Martell is <laughs> getting ready to go fishing. Um, no, 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 <laughs> no. time is a flat circle, no. man. Um, so 
uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so uh, uh, yeah, uh, what was the point of all that? Anything? Probably not. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, Deputy Andy's crying, and then we go to uh, back to the sheriff's station where Deputy Andy um is bringing in the donuts along with all the guys carrying the chess piece and uh agent cooper and so forth and lucy stops him and is like hey i'm gonna be in the miss twin peaks pageant too because we gotta wrap this up and (laughs) also uh remember the thing about me choosing the father of uh my child which i haven't mentioned in a few episodes and we gotta wrap this up <laughs> so he's like i can't wait lucy um also that's a really good andy by the way thanks man you've really you've really come at your own on that one it's, it's pretty i mean um i i'm basically becoming i'm channeling harry goes um but uh anyway so um Everybody is looking for help on this goddamn speech, and Lucy is one of them uh, about the environment. Yep. So, uh, anyway, who cares? Let's move to one Billy Zane um, up at the Great Northern because uh, he is uh, he is about to check out. Yeah, he's about to check out, but before he can, he needs to go and speak to Ben Horn, who is in the middle of getting a physical um, from the dock. Um, Basically tells him, you know, there's nothing really wrong with his heart. He doesn't need to worry about it. However, the doc is more concerned about the fact that Ben is harassing his wife, desperate to release some sort of secret, which he thinks would be incredibly damaging. I can't imagine Um, what it would be, Duncan. No, by this point, if you do not know, like Bo, then then give up on the show. Except come back next week because we will renew your faith in Twin Peaks, uh, and then every week after that is just going to be insane and literally going to be like the fucking best acid trip that you never had. Um, but your friend told I you. I don't know. I've had a lot. <laughs> so it's that acid trip that your friend tells you they took that you're like that. I can't wait to try acid. Um, and then you realise that it's not like that at all. It's you falling into the face of a melting Satan. Um, and Pinhead's at the all-you-can-eat buffet, and you can't reach it. And he's just telling you how great the food is, but you can't taste it. It <laughs> can, smells amazing. Can I tell a quick acid story? You can. I, I, I just want to stress for, for the record here, um, I've never done any drugs ever except alcohol, because that's as far as a I mean, lot of Scots go. I, I but yeah, I've never, I've never done any. Die. I've never done hallucinogens or anything like that. So yeah, I'm always interested to hear people's acid stories, because they always fascinate me. Because they're either exactly what the person wants, or not quite what the person expected, or this was the worst idea ever. How do I get off this trip? Um, yeah, I mean it's kind of the latter. Um, so uh, I and I, when I was in college, I don't do it anymore or anything. But I'm I'm old. You sure you and, don't do it just before we hit record on this? Uh, not really. Dance, I mean, dance on a few things, but um, but back in college, I I enjoyed the hallucinogens uh, a fair amount, and uh, that all. I don't know if I did acid after this. I don't think I did, but it's possible because I was doing a lot of acid. Um, <laughs> But, <laughs> so, 
Uh, it was after a breakup. Here, all right, here's some handy tips, kids. Uh, if you're going to do a, a an hallucinogen, um, you got to be in a good mood for it because uh, the mood follows you down. And I was, uh, like I said, off a recent breakup. I was not in a good mood at all, Duncan. <laughs> so I threw uh, some some acid as well as some booze on top of that because you can drink like a champion on acid. And a buddy of mine was like, you know what? Let's just go out to my place and you can hang out and chill out and everything will be good. You know, like stupid college shit of like, I'm so upset about this girl and um, <laughs> I should do some acid. Uh, so, um, so my friend takes me out to his place, which is truly out in the middle of nowhere and, um, is showing me around his property, which in rural Tennessee can be kind of expansive. And we found like, it it was a a straight up old timey schoolhouse that's on his property, kind of in shambles. So we walk into the place and I start seeing shadows start moving kind of like in the movie ghost, you know? And uh, so I, I tell my buddy, I was like, hey, we should get out of here because I'm starting to have a bad trip and I kind of don't want to. And so we go back to his place and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to try to lie down for a little while. And as he's uh, heading to his bedroom, he's like, oh, by the way, you should probably know a uh, little bit of a flea problem right now. And I looked at the carpet <laughs> and it was like seeing battalions of fleas hopping one over the next towards me on the couch. And uh, and sure enough, I was getting eaten up by fleas, I think, and uh, ended up having to sleep on the porch that night. <laughs> and I think that's the last time I did acid. So Yeah, that would put me off it altogether as well. But, yeah, uh... <laughs> I had wonderful experiences. That was terrible. So anyway, back to the show. <laughs> Stop telling acid stories, <laughs> goddammit. Goddammit, um, goddammit. Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah um, so there's a, there's, there is a potential surprise on the horizon as pertains to Ben and the Hayward family, and you can try and work that out, ladies and gents. FYI, there will be a scene later on that we'll talk about that kind of gives away a bit of information. But uh, John Justice Wheeler comes in and... You know, he, he's you know, he kind of comes in and says that he's looking for Audrey because he needs to say goodbye to Audrey. Hey, um, I gotta go. I gotta get out of town. Where's your daughter? <laughs> Where's your daughter? <laughs> <laughs> um, meanwhile, that scene that I was talking about is right here. Um, so Audrey's in, like, Audrey's in the attic, um, and she's breaking through her family's stuff, um, and she, in particular, finds her birth certificate. Wonder why she's looking at her birth certificate. Oh look, there's her mother, um, and look, our father delivered her. So that's that's. Wait one second. No, Doc Hayworth delivered her, but the father is marked as blank. Bo, I wonder what that means. Exactly. Me, 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 no me, one me. cares. No one it is, cares. It is the most obvious storyline in the world, and who gives a shit? But uh, it's not as awesome as the the pictures of Ben Horn and her parents in costumes, which were clearly taken two minutes before this scene started. Like, 
Like Ben, those are ben looks old and all his photos, and they're supposedly set back in the seventies. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, uh, it was just me, like put a mustache on him. And yeah, yeah, now like, he's in the seventies. <laughs> so while she's reading that, there is a telephone call in order for me to be able to do what I need to do contractually for this show. I will need to hand this over to you, Bo. Are we talking about Deputy Hawk entering the scene? That's right. Uh, our mum our mum basically says, uh, you've got a phone call, it's Deputy Hawk, needs to speak to you at the station, but she stares off and she's like, it's serious, you do not keep hot waiting as a right. bad motherfucker. What, like, I'll, I'll tell you what, man, I don't know that I have felt a guilt like I would feel if I were in her position, heard the telephone and said, Deputy Hawk's on the phone. Yeah. And then didn't immediately leap to the phone. Yeah. And have to have to make Deputy Hawk say, Hey, tell tell Bo it's serious. Yeah. I fucked up. I did that. That's on yeah. me, Duncan. That's the that's that's the conversation with your parents where they say they're not angry with you, they're you know, they're just disappointed. The, the the bottom of your stomach just falls out. Yeah. And that's how I would feel. I would feel like I I I'd, I had infinitely disrespected and disappointed Hawk. And no one wants to do that. No one wants to do that. But meanwhile, we were wrapping this show up, Bo. I don't know if you know this. There's only two episodes after this. And technically, those two episodes were released as one feature-length movie, very similar to the first episode. So we're really we're really wrapping this up. Um, so let's, let's, let's say goodbye. Although it's going to take the whole episode to say goodbye. Let's, let's start to lay the, the cards down to say goodbye to, to, to one of my favourite bit characters in this show, just purely because we've made him a sexual menace and predator on a level where I kind of feel like every scene he comes in, Chris Hansen should sit him down um, and, like, <laughs> and say to him, now what were you doing here? What, what, what you know? Why were you here? I just told her I had some wine coolers <laughs> and she was into it. And how old did she say that she was? I didn't ask. <laughs> and she wasn't volunteering the information <laughs> so fucking creepy so so creepy oh so creepy it's amazing uh, so, so we, we jump back up um, we're back at the Great Northern uh, Audrey needs to get back from Seattle she is coming in and as she's coming in to check back in in comes sitting, Deputy Hawk and He's like, hey, Audrey, I had some, look, I don't want to mention Donna, but look, this is serious. And Audrey's like, say no more. You don't even have to say it's serious. I see you, and I know thing, there's business afoot. And he's like, I need you to come to the station. She's like, fucking hey, let's go. Because that's what you're supposed to do <laughs> with this scene, Donna. Right. Donna. God Donna. damn it, Donna, pass the peas. I hope you... <laughs> Would you for once pass the goddamn peas, Donna? You made her sound like I don't know, like a, like a, a like a shitty impressionist artist. Donna passed the peas. That's what they <laughs> and the the following portrait is from Donna passed the peas, and it portrays a, a a dilapidated wheelchair. It was used. 
based on a chair used in Twin Peaks to ferry around Leostein before he became Leostein. Yeah, Donna uh, Pastapi's uh, most of her medical hardware work is a, <laughs> amongst the most sought. Is you know, some of them can go for the outrageous price of one dollar. Um, <laughs> it's out, outrageous in that the materials cost more. <laughs> like the individual components of the painting would be worth more than assembled into Donna past the peas p- painting. Yeah, it, it took her. It took her twenty five hours to make the painting as well, which means that basically she's you, you know she made nothing at all. Like anything after she like the time like she's so in the red now that Donna Pastapies will likely become homeless. Um, Donna Pastapies, world famous for selling her own plasma <laughs> to support her career in the arts. <laughs> so, so meanwhile, uh, John Justice Wheeler is sitting on a stair with Ben. Ben is pouring his heart and soul out about trying to be a good guy. And we find out in this scene that uh, Wheeler is leaving on a jet plane. Um, he doesn't know when he's going to be back again uh, because his <laughs> damn it. Sorry, yeah, one of his business partners or his business partner has actually died. Nay, been murdered, and he needs to go down and take over his work in Brazil of all places, down in the rainforest. Um, and he hands over. I gotta get out of the country. <laughs> you seen your daughter yet? <laughs> I knew a guy in Brazil. <laughs> he got dead. He's like, oh, so, so, uh, so your partner, your partner was Brazilian. Yes. Uh named after my favorite pubic hair styling you think there's something wrong with Brazilians Ben (laughs) you think you're better than them (laughs) hands him a letter and tells her to give it to her which which knowing the scene earlier on where Audrey was in a mask and her dad was about to put it in her, um, I was like, oh, this show has not moved on. <laughs> but at the same time, ooh, he doesn't know, he doesn't know. Um, so yeah, so he's kind of hoping that he'll get an opportunity to tell Audrey that he loves her before he goes. Audrey's thought, this is a, this is a sliding doors, this is a will they, won't they, can they, you know, is he going to leave without her, you know? saying goodbye and all the rest, but that story, as interesting as it is because it has characters that we kind of like, um, it's not the big story. The big story here is that at the station, Major Briggs is there. He has been looking at Project Blue Book Files Bowl. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. So tell us about them. Uh, so uh, the Project Blue Book stuff was so, alright, um, did we already cover that he worked with Wyndham Earl because uh, yes. I can't remember if that reveal happened. But anyway, so he's got some tapes. He's like, gentlemen, I uh, have some disturbing videos of someone we all mutually know and throws in the Wyndham Earl video. And, you know, it like Wyndham Earl became obsessed with this area because, you know, the Project Blue Book stuff went from outer space to inner space or, you know. Yeah. 
parts of the earth. And so Wyndham became obsessed with this. And uh, there's a video of him talking about um, evil sorcerers and the Black Lodge. And, you know, kind of the story we heard earlier, but in a little bit more of like it, it is almost Lovecraftian in a way of this dude who has been after some secret knowledge and then discovers it. And, yeah. and the major is like, you know, he became very protective of his own cases, which ultimately means like he was, he was uh, possessive of the secret knowledge that he had. And to the point that he became manic and everybody thought he was, you know, and <laughs> the technical term. And, um, but is like, has become obsessed with the black lodge. And this leads, um, Agent Cooper to another revelation. Yeah, the main revelation because all throughout this show thus far, up until the point that you were going to be cancelled, um, we gotta Cooper, wrap this up. <laughs> Cooper has thought that Wyndham Earl was settling a vendetta, a vengeance vendetta on him, um, and it turns out that may just be a smokescreen. The smoke screen that he is basically setting up this elaborate series of of games uh, to throw Coop off the, the the scent that he is actually not really after Cooper at all. What he's actually after is gaining access to the Black Lodge, uh, which leads uh, Coop to say, "Fellas, we need to know what the Black Lodge has and uh, what the Black Lodge has to do with it," um, and. We kind of we, we're constantly in this show now, looking at this weird petroglyph, um, over and over again. We spend a lot of time looking at it, and and Andy is kind of obsessed with it, especially. Yeah, maybe it's important. Maybe I, there's something in this. Look, if it's important enough for Super Sleuth Agent Cooper to say we need a large, accurate replica of it, you're goddamn right. It's important, Duncan. Mm. Um, but. Little do they know, Duncan, that uh, one Wyndham Master of Disguise Earl is listening in, thanks to his super sneaky bonsai tree that Sheriff Truman thinks came from Josie um, as a parting gift. And as we've discussed previously, that would be a really stupid gift for Josie to give him um, because it's Japanese. Anyway, Um, it's not not from China, though. China. 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 You're the puppet. China. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Wyndham Earl has a series of children's computers uh, all grinding away, working on uh, this, this hieroglyph as well, because as we know from the previous episode, he has discovered it uh, as well, and is trying to find the location of the black lodge confirming everything that agent Cooper has said. And they're like, all right. So here's my problem with this scene, Duncan Go for it. is that we get Wyndham Earl being kind of crazy and creepy and all that stuff. And does the, like, I know something he doesn't know, but he really doesn't like he know. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's it's a minor not- quibble, but it's one of those things that was probably in the script when there was more time. 
Yeah. Much like the next scene, and I don't I don't want to cut us off, but the next scene also has one of those things where you're like, the fuck is that all about? Oh, nothing? Okay. <laughs> Tell us about it, Paul. All right, well, so we go to the double R, which again, you know, one of our centerpiece scenes, a bunch of stuff pops off at the double R in this episode. But one of them, it begins with an old lady doing a hand trimmer. And being a little freaked out by it and kind of pocketing it. And um, and that's it. Like, that's all there is. And because this is a show where we've had the bouncing balls and, you know, all that kind of stuff where it's just like sometimes weirdness happens for weirdness's sake. Yeah. But there's enough of a theme of this, and we'll get to it in, in the next episode, um, where this happens enough that you're like, this was supposed to be a thing, but it's never really a thing. Yeah. So, eh, you know, again, the mixed bag of having to wrap up this season so fast. One, the these episodes move super fast and a lot happens, and it's yep. really cool. The downside is, hey, we, we ain't got time to wrap everything up, folks. <laughs> like, some of this, mm, you know, leave it to your imagination and or the books. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and now we get a scene that we're not really interested in, which has uh, Shelly and Bobby. Uh, hey, I'm sorry that I was like, you know, a jerk over here. And then I was telling you, like, I was running the show over here and you were all mad and whatnot. But I love you. You know what I mean, baby, over here? And she's like, I love you too. And that's kind of it. It's just like, yeah. hey, I was a real asshole in the last episode for no good reason. And sorry about that. We've got a different writer now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, Mark Frost tried to create tension for no reason at all. But he's not writing this episode. So, let's get it back on track. Um, and meanwhile, during this, this scene, uh, Shelley gets a call. It's Agent Cooper telling her she needs to go to the station. We now jump to the roadhouse for the pageant because, yeah, uh, Lana finds out uh, from from her fiancé, the mayor, that everything is looking pretty great um, because Dick Tremaine is going to be one of the, the guest judges as well as, uh, I think it's... A who's a double R woman? Norma. Yeah, Norma's going right. to be the other one. Well, and but he's, but he's he's whoring her out because he's like, you know, honey, you should probably flash your pussy at him, and that yeah. Dick Tremaine was just going to go goofy in the head for it. What almost verbatim? What is, <laughs> it says it kind of is. Yeah, it really, yeah, it's not far off. It, it basically says, give her, you know. Show them the goods and everything will be fine. Let them uh, get a so look she... at them gams. <laughs> yeah. Flash those titties. Um, Maybe so... bend over. Show them <laughs> you bleach your asshole. <laughs> Take a swatch at my growler. Uh, <laughs> so fucking creepy. <laughs> Somebody call me. <laughs> What's this about uh, a bleached asshole? <laughs> I 
Meanwhile, at the station, that thing that Bo was like that, you know, what was the point of this letter being sent and all the rest? This show continues to mock that by giving us more details. So, um, we have Donna, we have Audrey Horn, we have uh, Shelley all sitting around. Coops asking them, um, you know, what happened at the Roadhouse there like that. Nothing, no one was there. And he's like, well, maybe, have you been approached by anyone that you didn't know, anyone that was a bit suspicious in the last couple of days? Someone who um, could perhaps be a master of disguise. Yeah, someone who looked like they were probably wearing a disguise. Um, like, if you were thinking about, a, like, a stereotyped, I don't know, let's say, professor, um, you know, what would you look like? Like a cross between Sigmund Freud and Albert Einstein, you know, something like that. Did you meet this? You know, someone that doesn't come from Twin Peaks, because you know these people. And sure enough, between the three of them, they do. Donna mentions that one of our dad's old friends showed up, but that wasn't right. Uh, Shelley mentions a £10 tip she was that's, for a That's the most bullshit one, because you're like, oh, Shelley. Yeah, you could. If you're not every now and again pulling down a sob back. Or yeah. whatever they're called, uh, a $10 bill. <laughs> uh, like, come on, baby. You yeah. got, you know, work it a little more. Yeah. <laughs> and Audrey's like that. Yeah, there was a strange old man at the library who spoke to me. He recited that poem uh, in front of you, which, to be honest with you, that's the warning flare for me, Audrey. You're usually smarter than that. What the fuck's going on? Uh, and Coop's like that. Listen, all you are in danger. Um, you know, going to get sheriffs to check on you twice a day. And, oh, by the way, Shelley, look at this handwriting. Do you recognize this handwriting? She's like, oh, my God, this is Leah Stein's handwriting. Um, Cut so, to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Leo's kind of starting to regain a bit of the... Leo Stein is finding his humanity, Duncan. Yeah. Yes, and he's looking, he is, that's exactly what it is, um, and he's looking at the, the, the playing cards posted on the wall, and he noticed that one of them has Shelly's face, and he recognizes Shelly, he's like, Shelly, um, he's like, yeah, that's Shelly, you know, she's she's still going to be my queen, and all the rest of Shelly, and he's like, yeah, we've already done that, you know, I'm looking for her to be my queen, he's like, Shelly, and he's like, yeah, I've done this before, I'm looking for her to be the queen, Shelly, he's like, we need to end this scene, don't make me zap you, motherfucker, well, um, but, what we haven't seen is that Leo has lifted the remote control to his collar, um, and whilst in an act of bravery, Slash supreme stupidity uh, from Leostein. He tries to bite the hand that feeds Bo. He never bite the hand that feeds. Um, and this is where I actually feel sorry for Leo. Tell tell the listeners what happens to once arch villain scoundrel of the show. Now Duncan feels really sorry for him and wants to give him a hug. Character Leo. Well, Leo Stein because he's stupid still like he his heart may be growing three sizes that day <laughs> but the brain is sticking put um <laughs> and so leo yeah like you said leo sees shelly's picture and it's like shelly and uh like turns around and and, and like windermerle is goading him like i'm gonna kill shelly y'all and <laughs> leo sounds like shelly no and pulls out the clicker for his collar, impresses it, and shocks himself. Is like, Arr! and then 
you know, falls down. Uh, and, you know, oh, well, he, he stagger for a second, he staggers and kind of comes toward him again. And Winnem Earl is like, oh, no, y'all, you're coming to kill me. And yeah. Leo Stai is like, and like zaps him, tries to zap him again because he doesn't understand that he's zapping himself anyway it's stupid but it was like poor leo stein like you said it, it's just so pitiful because well, got, like windermere like openly mocks him at this point like and then brings forth the giant fucking collar like chain thing yeah and it's just it's just and you feel so this is where this character is ended up yes he's a fucking horrible character yes he's done very bad things yes he was going to kill shelly but at the end of the day like there's nothing there's nothing better than putting. It's like parking your your moderate looking car beside a really shitty looking car. All of a sudden, your car looks infinitely better. And Leo's malevolence pales in comparison to Windermere. He is like he is. Yeah, he's a town, thug. Yeah, yeah, he's small town thug against criminal mastermind. And in that competition, criminal mastermind will win every fucking time. Um, and it's difficult not to feel not to feel sorry. Um, I w- yeah, I, speaking of characters we feel sorry for, Audrey Horn finally gets back to the hotel, and as she's getting into the hotel, she finds it from her dad. Wait for it. That John Justice Wheeler's left. I gotta get out of the country. <laughs> Quick. Now, I think what we should do at this point here is take a couple of seconds and acknowledge that Court asked, um, it's his fantasy, Nay, it's his dream that he may be touching himself inappropriately at the thought of a conversation between David Lynch giving direction to John Justice Wheeler. And and how would that go, Bob? All right. So we'll do the, the Ben Horn scene here. Do it. I gotta get out of the country. <laughs> Perfect. Have you seen your daughter today? Keep going. (laughs) I was thinking of seeing her one more time. Do it slower. (laughs) All right. I think I, I feel like I have accomplished our task here thank you very much court that's that's really nice and and, and completely self-indulgent that's a good send-off for the for the character of john justice wheeler and billy z we, well he's not him. totally gone no he is back at the end of the episode but he doesn't say anything really he's... and well he says uh, we'll get there um yeah. <laughs> i don't want to spoil it but yeah so yeah, so Audrey comes in and is like, hey, where's that creep I've been dating? And her father, her father is like, you feel that too? Like, it's like when you're around him, you're, one of your hands, just one, is in cold water. <laughs> <laughs> You've always got the urge to pee. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I just get the feeling that 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 you know, Audrey just like gets him to, like Audrey just gets him to say long words in the vicinity, and the vibrations of the subwoofer of his voice gives her many orgasms. It does a private parts with it. 
Yeah. Of like, I'm going to sit on the speaker and you just like, tell me what happened to you as a child. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the mother. Um, so, it happened uh, at summer camp. <laughs> so uh, she she's like, no, that's not going to happen. So she runs out to go and try and catch a plane. She bumps into none other than Pete Martell and says, drive me to the airport. And uh, we're going to use that word airport very loosely because Twin Peaks Airport is basically a garage. It's it's um, a, a plane. Yeah, it's, it's fucking terrible. It's a plane that drives out onto the road. That's the runway. Um, it's an airport. So it's an air sidewalk. It's fucking terrible. Um, like, but the, the guy from ABC is like, no more money. You just are going to have to make it work. Uh, you're lucky that the, the plane is actually a plane and not a cardboard cutout. Um, so, can I? All right, let me let me do a little foreshadowing here. There is yes, a really that. nice moment with uh, Pete and Audrey later because it starts with her going like, "Hey, you," like not even acknowledging him as a human being, not giving him dignity, Duncan. But it's okay because it's Audrey and. Mm. Um, so, uh, but later there's a really nice moment between these two characters, I think. And, uh, anyway, enough interrupting. God damn it. Let's get on to the sheriff station. Yeah. So Kip is trying to work out what the, the petroglyph means. Um, but you know, his, his mind's maybe not fully on the job because he's thinking of his, his love, his Annie. Um, and, and he gets the hand shimmies. Like the lady, yeah, so he, yeah. He starts to look out the window, and then his hand starts to tremor, very, very similar to what we saw with the woman in the diner. So we're like, "That, oh, wait a second, is there actually now a thing happening here? What does the hand shaky shake thing?" Exactly. And now I'm just going to stress that the next scene, I go with a lot of what Twin Peaks does, Bob, right? and I accept a lot of what, what Twin Peaks does. And at times, I'm like, "That no character would act like that." Why are we doing this? Right, this next scene of all the scenes in Twin Peaks that we've ever discussed, this one is the most ludicrous by far. Like, regardless of what anyone ever says about Twin Peaks, this next scene is the most ridiculous thing ever because the major is out in the woods. He's taking a walk around. He's trying to get some some rest and relaxation, some R and R. And as he's walking beside a tree, he turns around to see a pantomime horse. That's right. Like a, a two-man horse outfit costume, walk towards him and does not say anything. Doesn't All right. react in a weird way or anything, and he lets this fucking horse walk up quite close to him before the hand with the tranquilizer dart gun comes out and shoots him in the neck, putting him down. It's fucking ludicrous this scene. Like it, le- le- legitimately, there's no excuse. It 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 is absolutely absolutely ludicrous, but Duncan. I would argue that it is one of the Twin Peaksiest scenes because the major wasn't just walking by a tree, as you so casually put it. <laughs> he placed his hand on the tree and kind of hummed. Yes, he did. As if to say, like, I'm communing with you, nature. The major is uniquely a spiritual character. So, yes. seeing seeing Wyndham Earl come out of the trees would alarm him. However, seeing a two-person horse outfit come at him should alarm him more. Would only draw his curiosity because the major is an explorer, Duncan. It's what got him into trouble in the first place. 
So yeah. I think, uh, sure, if it's Shelly out here in the woods, absolutely. The major, eh, I'm not convinced that his reaction isn't genuine here. Yeah, it's the it's the weirdest thing. He gets shot anyway, and now we have we now know that Wyndham Earl has a major, obviously to get more secrets. Meanwhile, at Twin Peaks Airport, that kind of gets stuck in the back of my throat. Uh, John is boarding his plane. It's going to take off forever. Um, and as the plane is starting to drive out onto, like I said earlier, the highway, um, Pete's truck comes pouring up, and Audrey catches eyes with with um, John. The embrace. Uh, <laughs> she says uh, <laughs> she tells him that she's a virgin and she wants what to make love. What the fuck? <laughs> she says, "I want to make love to you. I, I, lo- I want you to make love to me in your jet." Which that is the most Audrey Horn way to lose your virginity. Of course it is. Of this of billionaire playboy on his jet. Not it, like she joined the like what twelve foot club on that jet. <laughs> um and she's just like, Hey Pete Martell, how about you hop in your truck while I fuck this dude? And and Pete's like, All right. Uh I mean I've been married a See you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell, for years. This is not see you next Tuesday behavior. It's just kind of bitchy. So I'm cool with it. And so he fucks off to his truck. Meanwhile, he also gets the shakes. Well, he does. As sex pest, as you put it, which, by the way, did I have I pointed out how much sex pest amuses me? Uh, (laughs) No, you have not. All right. (laughs) Because we don't really have that term in the U.S., or at least not in that way. It's a you know, uh-huh. it's a you know, a pervert or you know, a, a sex offender is is probably the more common term. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, sex offender is probably not not. Well, it's a term over here, but it's, sex pest is the one that you would tend to use over offender. Offender right. would be the more like a, a sex offender <laughs> over here would be someone that was prosecuted for some sort of sexual offense sure uh, like somebody like showing their dick to kids in a schoolyard would be a sex offense a sex pest is just someone who is gagging for it uh, and is literally just constantly pressurizing people for sex without actually doing it or doing anything about it oh okay okay well we i don't know that we have an equivalent term except maybe horn dog which again (laughs) would be the most american way to express that (laughs) You know, it is always nice to spend a little canny time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't deal without it, boy. I can't. Oh, like there's got to be a way to to fit that in. Uh, I can't live without canny. Hashtag. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so Agent Cooper is walking on cloud nine around Annie. They've got they've got a real good thing going on. Me and Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Canny. Um, so I was really hoping you would do backup there, and you didn't, and it hurt me. Uh, I just a left you. I, I just left your voice. I was I was lost in the moment. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, voice of an angel. Um. <laughs> so uh, as they're kind of chit chatting, uh, it, again, it's kind of a wonderful conversation. Like we're goofing on it, but it is a great canny moment. Of him being like, you know what? 
I'm very attracted to you. Like this isn't what they're saying, but it it like the to paraphrase. Uh I'm very attracted to you. You're a good looking young lady, got a good head on your shoulders. I like the fact that you are spiritually curious. And she's like, you know what? I think the exact same with you. Uh we should probably kiss now. And he's like, I couldn't agree more. And then they do. And but yep. like it's weird because there's there's this naivete about them, but there's also this passion. And I actually yeah. really like Heather Graham in this role. Yeah, she's she's brilliant. And what I love as well is they, they accidentally knock over like some plates and stuff and then the camera focuses on this syrup kind of dropping off the plate onto the, the, the counter. Um and it's oh. done in a creepy way in that it kind of belies something sinister. Yeah. Oh man. All right. So, which, which I really, really, really like. Yeah. Um, so but the next scene. But, well, just, no. Before I, I, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm delaying us. But <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, let me. Don't get me. Don't let me like unchain Brimley back here. He's got a point to make. God damn it. Um, it's one of those moments, like when you're watching Twin Peaks, where you're like, I wonder if they got that from this kind of thing. Yeah. Where they have a discussion about Heisenberg and uh, Vince Gilligan, who, of course, did Breaking Bad and, you know, the main character adopted the persona of Heisenberg, um, also worked on X-Files, which was a direct descendant of Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. Like, we've said it before, like a year and a half in between projects, but it pretty much took the mantle and ran with it. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's one of those moments where you're like, I wonder if Vince Gilligan was watching Twin Peaks and this Heisenberg line stuck in his head. Because it's a really nice line, and, you know, it's uh, Annie of the canny. Um, talking about, like, she quotes Heisenberg about it's the observation principle of an object does not behave the same unobserved. And, yeah. um, and you know, again, just like, man, I wonder if, I bet Breaking Bad. I mean, there's plenty of Twin Peaks and Breaking Bad already, but I oh, wonder yeah. if it's that deep. So. And maybe, maybe you never know. Sometimes it's that just that trigger of one line of dialogue that's enough to that is enough to put you know the the skeletal structure to to a bigger idea. So it could be, could be. You never know. Uh, but I know what you're thinking, Bo. Uh, you're, you're thinking to yourself, we've had some crazy Wyndham Arrow scenes we already. Have. Just like an episode ago, Ted Raimi was in a giant paper mache pawn. I mean, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna. Oh, wait one second. He's got a giant archery bullseye board, and the major is strapped up. Yeah, it's a real William Tell uh, situation here. Um, where Wyndham Earl is just like, I'm gonna shoot at you, y'all. Um, I'm, I'm I'm gonna stop using that voice for him. It's not right. No, never again. Keep it going. It's amazing. He's not. Uh, he's, well, we're not good. We don't have that long left with the characters. You might as well. Might, yeah, right. Might as well. It's one more episode. So he's like, I'm gonna shoot you. Um, and the major is is like, look, it, it, like he's giving very official answers because obviously the whole setup here is that Wyndham Earl is trying to get the location of the Black Lodge and more information about the Black Lodge. Uh, like, how do I get there? Where is it? How do I get in? All that shit. And the Major's like, I'm not at liberty to divulge that information. And when Merle is like, well, that's real fucked up, y'all. I'm going to have to shoot you up. And 
Uh, so he does. He gives him, uh, shoots him up with an unknown, as yet unknown liquid. Although we find out later uh, that is what haloperidol. The it's it's the stuff that uh, they use to suppress Bob. You know, Mike used to suppress Bob. And anyway, shoots him up with that stuff and um, starts asking him questions. And like, uh, speaking of bad acid trips, the major is headed that direction. And, uh, so, uh, there's this whole conversation about like, what is the white lodge? What is the black lodge? And the major is like, well, the black lodge is, uh, is fear though. The white lodge is love. Um, you know, like, where did you see this map for the first time? Um, and he was like, you know, it, it was in my dreams and, and I got, uh, uh, you know, it, like when when I was out with Agent Cooper, essentially, like when he got sucked up into the vortex of the woods and whatnot, um, that he, you know, it was re- given all this information, assumedly traveled to the White Lodge. One would would guess here. I think so. Yeah. Uh, because it's a white light, and anyway, we'll get into all that later. But, uh, but is given all this information and then just starts freaking the fuck out because the drugs take over. Yeah. Do you know what he says? What does he say? He says the gum that you like is going to come back in style. No shit. Yeah, it does, Bo. Does he say it backwards? Like, um, not sure if he says it backwards, but according to the, the trivias, uh, that's what he says. That's the line he repeats, which is pretty cool. Man, oh god, I can't wait to talk about the last episode of this show. <laughs> oh, it's so good. one week away. One week away. We are one uh, week away. Yeah, yeah. So let's go from that really yeah, exciting fuck this episode. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> let's go from that really exciting revelation to another scene that we can't give a fuck about. I, no, so, you know like, what? I didn't oh. give a. All right, so here's the setup for this scene. The setup for right. this scene is that it's uh, Andrew uh, Packard. Uh, see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell and Pete Martell. Uh, once again, Andrew and Pete playing some grab ass um, with trying to get this box open. And Andrew is like throwing it on the floor. And, and finally, they crack it open to the point um, where they get down to this cylinder. Uh, like a steel, not cylinder, but a, a steel box and a, a rectangle, um, yeah. a parallelogram, if you will. Um, and it's stainless steel, and they're trying to figure out what the fuck to do with it, and they don't know. So Andrew Packard, uh, am I getting ahead of us? Is this the right scene? I may be fucking up. Um, <laughs> you, you, I think you may be jumping. I am jumping ahead. All right. So they get, I, I, you're totally right. Yes, Duncan. <laughs> so what they do is they use some symbols, and Andrew Packard uh, gets all super sleuth himself and starts yeah, it, it, like gets lucky. Well, but I mean, there's at least a reason to it. It's like, well, let's try, you know, the date he got his first boner, and I don't know how that correlated to the moons. <laughs> and you know, here's the yeah, day he first touched a and, horse. Uh, <laughs> They run through all that, it opens and there's another box in it, and because this scene reflects the frustration of the audience, when it comes to the next box, they just bash it the fuck in. Um, he smashes it, um, and there is this small metal box inside, and they both lift it up, and a kind of eureka moment, we're like, what does that mean? And then that's the end of that scene. Um, 
Right, because we, oh God, we got to go back to this. Uh, all right, so it, it's uh, once again at the Roadhouse where eventually the Miss uh, Twin Peaks pageant will be held. Yep. And uh, Agent Cooper in the earlier scene where he and uh, Annie were being canny um, invited her to dance. And this is actually a really sweet scene. It is, but like all things in Twin Peaks, when you think a scene is really sweet, a giant appears. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. And that's, man, again, a back of the box quote. When you think things have gone sweet, a giant appears. Yeah, the giant appears on stage, mouthing the words, no. Uh, no. Yeah, no. I, I, I mean, what could this no mean? Well, is this is this is this the giant kind of symbolizing potentially that Cooper should be more focused on his work to stop Windermere, who is getting close to something, or could this mean that maybe Annie shouldn't enter the pageant? Well, it's all triggered by him calling her a queen. Yeah, that's what maybe. fires it. Yeah, maybe so? she shouldn't be there. Mm. Maybe she shouldn't be in on that. Maybe uh, she shouldn't. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I was hoping you would go with me on that, but all right, fine. I, I kind of was, and then I was like, "That nah, is too late." No, nope, all right, fun. fair enough. We can't, we can't dive into it. <laughs> Do it once. Do it once, just to make me happy. What am I doing? <laughs> Maybe she shouldn't. <laughs> Maybe she shouldn't. All right, there we go. <laughs> Maybe she shouldn't. Maybe she shouldn't. All right. Although the giant could be there because the giant is also in love with um, Annie, because maybe the giant is a giant schmating kitten. <laughs> I like the fact that also that this show is cheap enough just to throw a spotlight on something and lower the lights on everything else and be like, "Dream, y'all." <laughs> Because <laughs> the, the man from ABC's in the background tapping his watch again and come, come on! We gotta wrap this up. up. I am giving you a bit of leeway for the giant to be back. Just a bit of leeway, but as as like, as like reward for that, can we move the scenes along? And yeah, we move along to basically Pete's falling asleep in his truck. He wakes up, he sees a plane fly off. I think for a second there's a this uh, maybe intimation that he thinks that maybe Audrey is on the plane with him because he looks slightly panicked. And, and a, there's uh, a distant voice that whispers, I have planted my seed. <laughs> Finally scratched that itch. Uh, so. I can't believe I planted that flag. <laughs> I mean, come on. Audrey no. is... <laughs> Audrey's clearly still floating on cloud nine. Uh, she she comes out and uh, is a wee bit teary-eyed. Um, and again, uh, a very nice scene where yeah. she's like, you know... I can really pick them, can I? Like, like Audrey is always just out of a 1940s movie. Yeah, I and... think as well, she she mentions another sweet scene. And once again, 
Pete trying to make himself a likable character to me, which he'd been basically trying to do since he became the reprehensible character he was when Ben was in jail. She right. says, like, yeah, he's been working on it, and I'm getting there. I'm slowly getting there. This kind of sways it back to Pete's a nice guy. Uh, Audrey mentions that he promised to take her fish and never did, and then Pete says uh, that he would take her for an evening of fishing. Um, and we all know that you always want to be near Pete when he goes fishing because Pete finds dead bodies when he goes fishing. That's all I'm saying about that. So Pete uh, Martell is... <laughs> no! Oh, sorry. <laughs> Makes a cup of coffee, picks up his fishing gear, walks around the rock. There is a body wrapped in cellophane ah! on the beach. <laughs> Welcome to Twin Beaks. Um, <laughs> so so let's, let, let's, let's bring this episode into a complete close with... Uh, a, a big revelation, and this is how you close out this motherfucking episode. Um, so we're at the Wyndham Earl cabin. Um, Wyndham Earl is a madman, clearly a madman. But um, in his in his cabin, he has two people that are clearly also off their tits. One is Leo Steen, who is just generally fucking losing losing his brains, and Briggs is like hallucinating shit and all the rest, and everyone's. Everyone's a bit mental, and against the backdrop of that, he finally, finally understands that the actual the the, the petroglyph in El Cave um, isn't actually an invitation at all. If anything, when you superimpose it over a map of Twin Peaks, it will reveal the location of the Black Lodge, and then we have uh, <laughs> we have. <laughs> A scene of the woods, and um, Bob's hand appears from nowhere, and then Bob appears. Bob pulls himself out, and he's standing there. And then the camera pans down, and in this grouping of trees, there is a pool. And in this pool, and the reflection of it, we see the red curtains of the Black Lodge. And Bo, that is all she wrote. Mm. On the third last episode of Twin Peaks. But it, it's a nice little uh, a, a bit of foreshadowing for what yeah. is to come because, you know, the magic of the first couple of episodes, Duncan, uh, I don't know that we get totally back there. Yeah. But we get awfully damn close. And uh, we have set the stage now, if you will, yep. uh, where... We have Wyndham Earl. We have uh, one Agent Dale Cooper. Both of them in pursuit of uh, the location of the Black Lodge. Um, yeah. We also have this stupid uh, Miss Twin Peaks pageant happen happening, which is only interesting because it just sets in sets motion up. the last yeah. <laughs> the last act of this. Yeah. It needs, it needs to be there to set up that. And there's a couple other little bits and bobs, including one of the most... Like, I, we're not spoiling things, but like the story with Audrey takes a wicked turn um, in the last two episodes of this show. Uh, so, so you want... The last little bit of trivia here, um, and this is one that kind of really shows you why this show was taken off the air. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, and by the way, was, Duncan... I really yep. appreciate the fact that you have brought this trivia into the uh, into the mix. So, I, sorry, I will <laughs> I, I, I will delay us no longer. Yeah, I, I, the reason I have brought this in is because I'm constantly trying to find the point 
of when they knew it was cancelled, and they knew it was cancelled by this point now, so it happened somewhere in the last two episodes. Uh, this was the last episode that aired on the Thursday nights that they moved it to, so literally, you know, like two weeks of moving it back to a better spot to see if it kind of raised the ratings. Uh, according to this, the experiment to raise ratings to put the show back on weeknights had failed. This episode aired almost exactly one year plus one week to the show's original premiere. Wow. One year prior, the show had received a massive 34 million viewers, was on the cover of every magazine, and was the talk of the nation. Now this episode had just 7 million viewers. Uh, No one but hardcore fans cared anymore. The last two episodes were scheduled as a movie um, of the week two months later. So you had to wait two fucking months to get a movie-length finale of Twin Peaks with what is essentially what's that three so it was it had lost three quarters of its original uh, view numbers in the space of a year and a week it's 53 weeks yeah oh man flew harsh man harsh flew close to the sun sir and yeah uh, yeah and the show paid the so... price but I uh, I mean, we'll get into it. I love this episode, though. Yeah, I, I love this episode. It's it, it, like both of these episodes, I think, are are fantastic, yeah. uh, fun watches. And um, they build up. They feel like they're building. They ne- we now feel like, because we know it's the last episode, and people out there knew it was the last episode as well. It was building towards a direction, and you knew you were going to get, you knew you were going to get closure. Um. Or you hoped? Well, no, you thought you were going to get closure. You you thought, <laughs> you thought yes, like the newspapers <laughs> read Duncan, um, that yes, they knew Twin Peaks was wrapping up, and the yep. creators of the show were aware of that, and uh, and were you know creating some kind of conclusion. Yes, um, and but they forgot one thing, though. One thing. Yeah. That- you all go fuck yourselves. <laughs> the conclusion was was going to be handled by one of cinema's most most unorthodox uh, filmmakers of all time. A guy who does not tell a story linear A to B to C. A guy who is a true visionary. Um, and what makes me excited to say is that on some part I think he deliberately, he definitely deliberately did the, the, the last episode in a particular way, but I think he knew through doing that there was a very good chance he would be optioned to make a movie, um, which he got, uh, and then people thought that that was going to answer all the questions, and he did it again. <laughs> How much do we have for curtains? <laughs> I'm like, going to need a lot. It just flipped from the board twice, which is why, like, whatever David Lynch does, whatever he wants to do, David Lynch will always have, always, always have my utmost respect. I think what he did was incredibly fucking ballsy. Yeah, like, it's, you know, self-defeating or genius, you be the yeah. judge, uh, yeah, come you, next you episode. <laughs> um, so I can't wait, man, like, one more episode, yeah. and that is us finished the original run we then have an episode where we'll be talking about fire walk with me as well as um, the books we're going to be yeah, covering uh, secret diary of laura palmer and um 
the secret world of Twin Peaks. Secret world of Twin Peaks. Yeah. So, so that one's going to be heavy on detail, and we need them, ladies and gents, particularly the secret world of the Twin Peaks. We will need that in the bag. So you need to get on that now. It's not a big book at all. Get through it as soon as possible, because we're going to be talking after that about season three of Twin Peaks. Mm, um, I'm so excited, Duncan. I'm gonna. I'm you actually not watched any of it. No, I'm actually gonna watch uh, Firewalk with me tomorrow. And oh. and probably start in on on season three after that. Yeah, um, be prepared to have your face fucking melted off. I, uh, I every day I wake up and I'm like, just something melt my fucking face off today. <laughs> and if it, if it, if this is what it takes, then I'm all for it. Bo, that show that you like is coming back in the style, um, and I can't. I actually can't fucking wait. The conversations are going to be amazing. They're like there's, there's no way the thing is like i feel sorry that we will be abandoning um a lot of the the nonsense that we brought to this show and moving back to because there's just no way we could do it on the new show but what i'm looking forward to seeing is how we can corrupt the, <laughs> the reviews of the new show it's in there we, we just don't know how we're doing it yet because you've yeah. watched it but, I, well gentlemen yeah. i i believe in us yeah, oh, I, I believe in our power to fuck things up. Yes. Um, above above all else. So, yeah, I'm excited. One uh, one more one more show a season two. And, yeah, one of the, the most talked about, one of the greatest endings, like or loathe, in TV history. I can't believe we're here already. I know. It, it really does feel like the second season has gone much faster than I thought. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, it's flown in, so, uh, uh, yeah. Especially these last few episodes. So, um, listeners, hey, uh, hey. hey, uh, thanks very much for listening to more of this nonsense. Um, I mean, honestly, <laughs> oh, I, I, why did you write me out of the show? <laughs> <sighs> This time it's personal. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish I could. I could get away with talking like that all day. Um, just, uh, just make the change tomorrow. I would be. I would. I. I would not be able to to make it through the end of the day. Someone would ask me to leave. Uh, because of so, so much of my work involves talking to people on the phone. They, if they call up and are like, yeah, I got a problem. Tell me all about it. But do it. <laughs> slow. I mean, that would be all it took. There's, there, there's a phone call to my boss happening immediately after that. <laughs> there's a sexual harassment claim with your name right now. <laughs> right, right. Trip to HR for a special sit-down discussion and a PowerPoint presentation. But you know, it like I don't know. Maybe if I made bagels or something, <laughs> not not at the counter, just in the in the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> I love putting my hands in the dough. And see, nobody there cares. They're all for it. <laughs> um. So anyway, thanks for listening, uh, Duncan. One. Yes. Final question to round out the evening. Uh, this comes from Court. Uh, 
he asks us, does Mike emerging from his sexual assault uh, by a coma hawk as a willing participant haunt your dreams? Uh, we are, of course, referring to the Stendhal syndrome that Mike is experiencing <laughs> as a result of uh, Nadine's incessant advances. Um, I don't know, Duncan. Do, do you find that disturbing? Um, I've, the only thing I find disturbing is the fact that you keep playing that joke out every episode. <laughs> I don't care. Um, I believe that there's there's someone out there for everyone, and if that's someone out there for a young teenage guy as a 35 year old cycloptic super fucking monster um, who who will write him to death, um, write him to dust, then uh, then. If he's happy with that, then I'm happy for him. So that's all I'm going to say about that. By the way, not a coma hawk, the coma hawk. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification, Nadine. Um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I, I, I feel like they have uh, turned a corner in their relationship at this point. Uh, I'm rooting for them. I, I feel like they're the Sam and Diane of Twin Peaks. Uh, and I, I feel secure in the knowledge nothing whatsoever will happen to interrupt their relationship. I think it is all smooth sailing from here. There you go. I will not make comments. All right. No spoilers, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, speaking of uh, Duncan, uh, yes. how about you let everyone know where they can get in touch with you should they not be so turned off by this show? Uh, that they would like to pursue further Duncanness. Uh, you can check me out in the podcast under the stairs. Uh, go to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast or the website tputzcast.com. The most recent episode that dropped on Monday of this week was the final part of Baz v. Leatherface. Uh, his look at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise covering the remake. Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, and Texas Chainsaw 3D. Um, you can also check out some of the other stuff I do on legionpodcast.com. All right. Um, yeah, and on my end of things, uh, what Duncan said, legionpodcasts.com. Um, hop on over there, and you can find uh, you know this show and the Shodcast, uh, which is the video game show, uh, Hero Hero Go Show uh, coming soon. And um, what other podcast do I do? Horror Hangover, which is the the new Legion podcasts only uh, show. So, uh, which has been fun. That's uh, that's been a good time. So, anyway, um, so check all that stuff out over there at Legion Podcasts uh, on Twitter and over on Facebook, where you can look myself up and uh, and chat about the show, which we uh, do quite a bit of. Uh, this show, I mean. And over on uh, the podcast Under the Stairs on Facebook, where we also chat about this show uh, on occasion. So, um, yeah, I think that's it. Duncan, anything else uh, before we bid everyone a fond bonne nuit? Uh, just I can't wait to come back and chat next week uh, about the finale. I hope everyone starts doing their research now because if you thought me and Bo were getting geeky just now information and theories and all the rest shit's about to get reals 
Oh, Parkinson. So God. yeah, expect us to go a bit crazy over the next few weeks. Uh, yeah. And I look forward to speak to you all then. Everybody get your high prepared already because we are about to get fucking crazy next week. Um, thanks again for listening. Thanks for uh, for all the the pictures and the comments and, and the thanks and the suggestions and all that stuff. Uh, you guys are the absolute best. Uh, thank you so much. Say goodnight, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Good night. Down, 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 oh, to down, 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 down,
Latina style. Kicking the flavor, getting busy. You're going now. I think you're dizzy. I think you're hungry because you're starving for flavor. Flavor most. Put it on your toast. Eat it and taste it and swallow it down. Imperial flavor gives you the crown of the king crow flavor. The king of all flavors. Rose and rose and rose of life savers. Flavor flavors in everything you eat. Because everything you eat got flavor. Flavor flavors the first taste you get in the morning. Your breakfast is the flavor. In between that's the lunch. In between that's the dinner. In between that's the midnight flavor. That's right, boy. 